Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Good morning, everyone. We have Good morning. a very stacked Good morning. They're a very stacked lineup today. We get to talk to a lot of the underrated, underappreciated, and unfortunately underrecognized, at least so far, prospects that are coming up in this draft, including some of my favorites. Uh, we'll be joined a little later by guys like Josh Thornton and Keith Renicky. And I think we've already been joined by one Sean Brickley. Is that you, Sean? Uh, yes, sir. Excellent. Um, I don't know if you know of Francisco Llanos, but I had a very similar, I got a somewhat similar career path uh, a few years ago, who now is a wide receivers coach, but uh, joined me a few years ago, who also, who actually, when he was there, Fedora was still the, uh, was recruited, but well, not recruited, he was a walk-on, but he played originally for, for Coach Fedora, uh, prior to Fedora leaving North Carolina, and uh, it's a pretty wide receiver-friendly offense still, so I'm going to ask you a few questions about the offense, but we're going to start with some questions about you at the beginning of your your football career and your, you know, your life, I guess, to some extent. So you are another person who's played more than one sport, obviously, like many people. Take me through your early, you know, your early life as a young athlete and how did football sort of win over your heart? Okay. Uh, growing up, growing up, I always wanted to play the sport of football. And I always played basketball, but it's somehow football took a different toll on my life because of, different people in my family that really wanted to play the sport and I was introduced to the sport and I just fell in love with the game and falling in, falling in love with the game allowed me to get to where I'm at right now and in high school I only played one year as a senior I spent most of my time well a couple of games in the beginning of the season I spent most of my time you know watching from the sideline and then I um, I graduated my senior year and then after that I wind up walking on that Southern Miss, and walking on that Southern Miss, I end up uh, getting hurt my first two years, my year freshman year, and my freshman year. And then after them years, I uh, I wind up playing a couple of games, like my year sophomore year. Then I end up earning a scholarship my uh, year junior year, and I end up earning a scholarship. And after earning a scholarship, I was able to get – some more reps in the game, but not not as many reps in the game. Most of all my reps became from in practice, and I wound up losing my scholarship for a part of a semester, and I wound up getting it back. And I wound up, wound up uh, just just on the path with this football dream, and it just it just it just been having like highs and lows, but. I'm in love with the process, and it's, it really made me the person that I am today. Okay. Yeah, it's I, – I wrestled. I played football. I wasn't terribly good at football, unfortunately. I wasn't, I wasn't a person who was able – like you, I spent a lot of time watching 
<laughs> early in my career and didn't see the field much ever. So I know how hard it is just to get that crack to even show what you can do. Let me drill back into some of what you said. So you had opportunities perhaps at a lower level to gain a scholarship, but you decided to walk that Southern Miss. What was your mindset as opposed to maybe getting a partial or even a full scholarship at a smaller school? Why did you decide to walk on at a big school? All right, in life, I always, always um, wanted to give myself the best opportunity as possible, even if it was hard getting that chance. And I felt like at Southern Miss, at a Division One school, I would rather compete for something at the highest level that I really want. And I was willing to just go through anything, no matter what it took, in order for me to get to the point that I really want to be at while chasing my dreams. Okay, and then take me back through, I mean, obviously, as you said, it took you a while to make an impact while you were in high school, but who were some of the best guys you faced, either guys that were on your own team or guys you played on other teams? Who were the most impressive athletes you faced while still in high school? In high school, I faced the guys like Henry Glover. He was was an athlete at, at Salmon High School. He was a cornerback. He was uh he was with all like he was all state. I played against Speedy Noah for Carr. He um uh, he from he from New Orleans, Louisiana. I um also played against also played against a a guy named Vernell Turner. He was an all state guy from from the Slidell area too. And that's basically a roundup of guys I faced it in the high school level. And I imagine, especially for a guy that didn't play a great deal in high school, it must have been a shock, an absolute shock when you began seeing some of the guys you, you were going to see once you hit the practice field in Hattiesburg. Take me through your what we call welcome to college football moment. What was that like for you, This trying to make that adjustment? Oh man, when I first stepped on the college football field, I can remember like yesterday. I remember seeing how huge the guys was. Always, always was saying to myself, like, how would I go against these guys? But I always wanted to go against, you know, like guys that's way better than me, and guys that's going to give me a challenge. And just, just being in that, being in that moment, being able to just face guys that's above my level, and I want to be on their level. Have, it was a real shock. It was a real shock to me, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed competing. And when you first hit that field, as you said, I mean, you've seen some guys. You, you mentioned your high school career. You've seen, you've seen two or three guys who were legitimate D1-type players. But now you're a place where there's 100 guys who are legitimate D1-type players. But who are the guys that stood out to you when you got to Southern Miss, who impressed you? You thought, wow, that guy is a stud. Uh, one guy really stood out to me that caught my eyes, and I, I basically look up to him at, when I first came to Southern Miss. It was Francisco Llanos. I really looked up to him, like the way that his work ethic and like the way he just catched the ball and ran routes. It just it just amazed my eyes. Him, Tracy Lampley, him with his speed and his oh, quickness, man. he caught my yeah. eyes. That was just two guys that really made a huge impact on my life. And also Jalen Richard, 
he was also a guy that had outstanding outstanding work ethic and he just he just amazed me but by the way he run the ball he he's real good yeah you named some guys i like uh i still talk to francisco who's now a coach uh every now and again so he's a guy he's a guy to keep in contact with because he has such a great understanding of the game i think right. one day he's going to be he may not have reached as high as he wanted to go as a player, but I think he has a good chance to one day be in the NFL as a position coach. He has that good an understanding of the, the position of wide receiver. So those are some good names. Good job. So once again, you're starting at the bottom of the depth chart, and it's a big bottom. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a long way up to the top when you first get to Southern Miss to get to the field. Tell me about what you did or what you had to do to go from being a walk-on basically treated like a piece of equipment. I mean, I know I've been there. I walked on. Uh, <laughs> don't even know your name hardly for, for about a year. Uh, but, yeah, tell me what it's like. What did you have to go through just to get from where you were to a guy who actually got a chance to contribute? Oh, man, I just had to go through being on scout team every day, you know, going against the first defense, being able to just just have that every day just show that I can really compete with these guys at this level. You know, and you know what it's like to be on a scout team. I I enjoy being on a scout team because that 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 really gives me a chance to prove to the coaches what I can do against their first string, you know, their second string defenses. And I just really enjoy that process of having to work, like work hard, just to prove myself and let the coaches know that I can actually be at this level. Okay. And who were the guys that you ended up hanging out with? Now, I know, once again, as a, as a walk-on, it takes a while for guys to even sort of acknowledge your existence. But <laughs> when you did, I, try, I know, but once you did, you sort of start to develop a clique or a group of friends or whoever, who were the guys that, that were your guys? Uh, I didn't really have a, a big, big group of friends, but my guys was like Jalen Richard. That was one of mm-hmm. my guys. We we always we always worked out together. That was one of my guys, and uh, the that's the about it. Okay, got it. And I believe I'm joined by Keith Renicky as well. Is that you, Keith? Yes, sir. Excellent. Well, first of all, Keith, just congratulations on one heck of a career. Um, you came into one of the. I mean, obviously. Not everybody around the country may knows the program, but those who know the level of football and know, I mean, Texas has good football everywhere. You can you can start in a parking lot and see a pretty good football game in Texas, but you come from a program that those who really know Texas football, even though it might not be on tele, your program might have been on television every week, know that you guys play at a very high level and have a tremendous tradition, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And, in fact, to put a few guys in the league, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. I'm going to hop back to uh, – actually, you know what, Keith? I'll ask you one quick question, and I'll hop back to you. So, All right. Uh, your name is a name that I've known several other athletes in the past with the last name Renicky, but spelled differently. Uh, do you know if you're at all – which sometimes happens when families come over from the, whatever their home country is, sometimes, you know, Americans – especially in the old days, did always pay attention to the little fine details of how somebody from, you know, the Netherlands or Germany, whatever, actually spelled their name. So do you know if your family has any relationship to the Renicky family with the O that has put several athletes in 
couple of different sports, like Ron Rennicky and that bunch. Do you know if there's any relation between those two families? I'm not. I'm not sure if there is any relationship. Okay. But uh, I, mean, I just know that we usually pronounce it Reinicky, and I, I don't know oh. way back then oh. we started pronouncing okay. it Rennicky. Okay, and and it might be pronounced. I mean, you would know your name better than I would. I've, it's a. I'm assuming unless unless my unless I'm forgetting, I'm assuming it is a German name and it means from the Rhineland. If memory shows me correctly, is that right? I believe so. Yes, sir. Okay. Right, and I think it's actually Americans who flattened out the pronunciation and started calling people Reneke, um, as opposed to the proper German pronunciation, which you are correct, would be Reineke, would be the proper yes. German pronunciation. Yes, sir, and, I, and a lot of times that's how my name is pronounced. <laughs> yes, I bet it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, I bet, I bet you've heard your name pronounced a couple of different ways. Yeah, I usually have to tell people on how to pronounce it, and even when I do tell them, they still say it the other way. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, this is a great, great country, but we will butcher your name in an instant here in America. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> uh, okay. So I'm going to hop back to Sean. I'll be back to you in a second. So, All right. So, Sean, you're looking up at a mountain in terms of the depth chart. Southern Miss has been, I mean, people might never call it wide receiver you, but there have been good wide receivers at Southern Miss going back to the Brett Favre days, Lewis Lips. I mean, I, without thinking hard, I could name 20 guys from Southern Miss in the last 50 years who've played NFL football at the wide receiver position. There might not be any Hall of Famers on that list, but there's some pretty darn good wide receivers on that list. Todd Pinkston. I mean, there have been some good receivers from your school. Did you know much about the wide receiver tradition at Southern Miss when you decided to walk on there? Was that something you found out once you got there? I found out as soon as I got here. I had no clue. Everything. <laughs> I had no clue. Everything was just new to me. I just felt like everything just was new. Everything was new. Okay. Did you have anybody, like a high school coach or an older friend, who gave you any sort of guidance as to choosing where to try to complete your education and where to complete your football career, or did you just do all this on your own? Uh, I basically made the decision. I remember uh, being in high school, I used to always say to myself, I'm going to go to Southern Miss. I had no reason why I wanted to go to Southern Miss. <laughs> I just really liked the colors. That's what really made me well, want to go, go to Southern Miss. The there and gold we colors. go. Because I'm there from are good uh, colors, man. <laughs> I, I love the colors. I'm from New Orleans, so I'm I'm a fan of the Saints. I love the black right. and gold tradition. Right. In my high school, right. it was black and gold. So I, I just spoke that. I always say I want to go to Southern Miss, graduate from Black Southern and Miss. yellow, black and yellow, black and <laughs> yellow. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and you you look good. I mean, you know, if that matters, you know, you did. It's a sweet combination. It's one of my favorite color combinations. Unfortunately, I went to a school where our uh, high school were royal blue, Kelly green, and white. And I loved my school. But I, I we none of us loved our uniforms. We used to you know, kind of could play quietly, you know, not so that could hear us. We could play quietly. We would play other teams that had better uniforms. Like, why can't our uniforms look like that? So, yes, I, I – people don't realize how important it is. Uh, you heard Deion Sanders say you got to – in order to feel good, you got to look good. Now, I don't know if that's actually true, but I think it can sometimes affect your mindset. Uh, I'm going to hop back over to, to Keith for a moment. So, you are obviously a Texan, Keith, uh, pretty clear. Yes. Um, yes, sir. Your face, your voice. Uh, everything sort of yells Texas. For those who don't already know, and obviously Texans are not shy about telling you about how football in Texas is the first thing out of their mouths practically, but 
for those who don't understand what it was like to grow up, when and where you grew up, how early on in your life did you get introduced to football, Keith? I think I started playing flag football when I was about six years old. That sounds about right. That's kind of late for Texas. Why not four? So, yeah. So. I'm not totally sure. I think my dad wanted me to focus a little bit more before he put me in. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so when you first started playing, what position did you play? Uh, when I first started playing, I think I started off as a running back. And then uh, from from when I can remember, I've been playing safety. Okay. Which, of course, is the position of kings. It requires, frankly, uh, the greatest collection of skills put together, I think, of any other position. Of course, that's the position I play. But it does, in many ways, have the greatest amount of demands because quarterbacks have a great amount of mental demand. And some quarterbacks are also great athletes. You don't have to be a really good athlete to be a great quarterback. Tom Brady's a terrible athlete, but he's a great quarterback. Peyton Manning uh-huh. was a terrible athlete, but a great quarterback. You can't do that at safety. Earl Thomas can't be a poor athlete and do what he does. He has to have the mind like those top quarterbacks. If you, you know, Charles Woodson, uh, Rod Woodson, when he moved over from corner to safety, I mean, anybody that you want to name with lots of great safeties, Eric Berry, whoever, those guys are also really good athletes, but they have to be mentally the equal in some ways of a great quarterback because of all the calls you have to make, all the adjustments you have to make, especially at the NFL level where there's so much what they call window dressing, so many things that can – I mean, that's what Peyton Manning's doing when he comes up to the line and he's flapping his arm and he's pointing this way and he's yelling out stuff. 90% of that stuff is just show. 90% right. of that stuff is to get you to buy it. It's like, oh, he just changed the play. No, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. He was. That's exactly what he was to say. And now, gotcha. You know, the, the, the trap right. is sprung. The trap is sprung. Because you went and looked at his tape from three years ago or however far back or even three weeks ago and heard him make that same call and they checked off to a run play. So you think he just checked for a run play? Nope. Because the night before he said, you know what, that thing I did, we're changing it. It's going to look like such and such, but instead I'm going to throw this Y-pop and watch those suckers bite on, you know, uh, what they think is going to be a draw play. But Mm – but now, okay, so you're a kid in Texas where football is literally everywhere. And tell me, because you had other, other things going on in your life, what was it about football that grabbed you and wouldn't let go? I'm not sure what draw me to it. Uh, I guess just watching it always, uh, my dad was a coach, and that was his favorite sport growing up. That was his favorite sport to play and coach as well. And then, of course, watching my older brother, play in uh in football and seeing just um how you're able to be aggressive and how you can finesse your way and, and all the different combinations that go into it into one sport just really draw me to it right perfect i'm going to hop back over to uh sean who's now in the process of fighting his way up the depth chart trying to get over the injury bug all the stuff that you had to overcome so you already have a lot of adversity just being a walk-on. Once again, I know for a fact what that's like. You're basically like a bag of balls, uh, you know, throw out a practice field or whatever at first. When you got injured, and tell me, you know, sort of walk me through it. How did you happen to get hurt 
Because you obviously weren't playing a lot yet. Was it in practice? What what, what took place, Sean? All right. I remember one day in practice, I was just uh had just caught a slam route. I just was running up the field, and I had uh wound up hyperextending my knee, and oh. I wound up just tearing my meniscus, and I had to get surgery twice. And and the doctor told me he was like, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to play football again. And I told him, I said, you know, I said. I said, I believe in God. I believe God is a healer. He could do all things. I will come back. I will be able to come back and play football. And uh, he would just sound like, you know, people had the same injury and he never was able to come back. And it's like ever since that day, just going through that, I'm I'm really able to see, like, what God really can do in my life and and how he really healed me and got me back faster, faster than i ever been before. My mind way different than it was before. I just love that I went through what I went through with being injured in the walk-on process at Southern Miss. Heck of a story. And, you know, meniscus tears are, are interesting that one guy will tear a meniscus and play two games later. Another guy has, quote-unquote, the same injury, and as you said, his career might have ended. It's it's not like other injuries where you can say it's a six-week injury or it's a eight-week injury or it's a two-week injury. Meniscus tears seem to be all over the map from guys who literally, you know, I mean, I've seen offensive linemen tear their meniscus and play, you know, like I said, they miss one game. They're playing, they just tape it up. You know, I'll get it fixed in the offseason. I'll brace it up and tape it up and we'll just play. To, I mean, Derek Rose, as you know, you know, the basketball player, he, he missed two-thirds of a season with meniscus tear. So it it seems to be one of those injuries that's very different for different people. So back to you, Keith. Tell me about your high school program that you, you you know, where you were and who were some of the guys that, you know, some of the guys you were close to and, and what were your, what did the coaches while you were in high school, what did they do for you? How did they change you as a person and as a player? I grew up in McGregor, Texas, a small two-way school here in Central Texas. And uh, our colors were black and gold as well. And and growing up here, a small town, if you're an athlete, you're you're not only playing football, you're going to be playing multiple sports and also multiple positions. You're going to play both offense and defense and probably a little bit of special teams as well because we just don't have the manpower for for a player just to play one way. Right, and so um, it was. It was tough going uh, going both ways. You definitely get exhausting after games and everything, but uh, just being able to play multiple positions helps. Just getting different aspects of the game helps you understand a lot more about the game than you ever knew. And uh, having uh, some of my best friends that played with me, uh, a guy named Taylor Fox, uh, Travis. Travis Allison, who actually went to go high jump in Wyoming. Uh, his brother, oh. Troy Allison, also played with. I have countless of friends that are still in touch and still came to watch me play in my collegiate years as well. Uh, being close to McGregor really helped that out. And my coaches have supported me 100% in everything I did. Um, the My uh, head coach, Coach Stewart, who now stepped down from the head coaching job, he – supported me in everything I did. He helped me uh, get my film out to uh, colleges when I was pursuing 
like Baylor, SMU, schools like that. And also he got in touch with schools from like Florida and Montana. He really tried to branch me out to where I could fulfill my dream of being a collegiate player. And another coach of mine, Coach uh, Cool, he was also like our strength conditioning coach, but also our offensive line coach. He he was like a father figure to me growing up. He took me in like a son, and he really pounded in me hard work and determination. And if I and he made me believe if I worked hard enough that anything I can do is possible. Got it. I'll stick with you for one more question, Keith. I'll hop back over to Sean. So. You made mention of playing both ways, and it is an advantage in that, as you said, you it makes you see the game. You have a 360-degree angle, degree of the game. You see all parts of the game, while guys who are more specialized, they learn a lot about their particular position and the scheme that they run on that side of the ball and often, you know, don't understand as fully what goes on the other side of the ball. So talk me through that. Uh, what positions did you play in your, you know, playing both both ways, and what things did you did you learn that helped you from playing both ways? I played quarterback, running back, receiver, corner, and safety in high school. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, I where the coaches asked me to play, I, I usually went there. All right then. Yeah. So you you really did have a panoramic view of what goes on on the field. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you you understood a whole lot of football. Okay, great. And what do you think helps you most uh, about having played right up in so many different spots, seeing the field from so many different angles? Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, playing quarterback. I, as a quarterback, I learned how to read coverages, re- look at corners and look at safeties and read their depth and their eyes and understanding pre-snap what covers they're going to want to be in. And then as the snap is happening, look at them again and get a different read. Are they staying in the flat? Is the corner is the corner's eyes on me? Are they on the receiver? Or is he bailing out? Is he sitting? Where's the safety going? Is he rolling down? Or is he going in the middle of the field? And all these different things help me understand what the covers the defense wanted to run. And also, uh, we ran a, uh, a RPO type of, offense so also whenever the run play you had to read the defensive end and also we would uh a few times we'd make checks depending on where the uh defensive line how they were set up or where the three technique was where the one technique was sometimes we wanted to run to the different techniques so i had to i had to learn how to read everything in a short amount of time and get everything translated to my teammates so understanding that aspect helped me on the defensive side when i would see a quarterback or understand a team wanted to do their favorite or tendencies were a certain way. I could understand what the quarterback was thinking, what the running back was thinking, what the receivers wanted to do, and it just helped me a lot understanding how the other offense are, are going to do. Got it. Now, Sean, as you mentioned, it took you a couple of years to even really see the field. Take me through the first time you actually got, speaking of, you know, black and, and gold, take me through the time you you know, you've suited up before, but take me the first time you actually got into a game. What was that game, and what did you get to do in that game? All right, the very first time I got in the game, I was backing up a receiver named Mike Thomas. He uh he recently <laughs> he recently very I, I I think he was here last year or the year before last. Mike Thomas, we was playing against Marshall. It was uh it was in 2014. 
It was my race right. sophomore year. It was my very first game I stepped on the field. He came off the uh, field. He said, uh, he, he, I, I remember him saying to me, uh, Brick, you ready? And I told him, uh, I said, yeah, I'm ready. He was like, go uh, back me up. I went on the field, and I remember going out there. It just felt like a, a dream, like a moment that I never imagined experiencing in my life. And it just, it just felt like I was there. So tell me, can you remember the play? Do you remember what the play call was? Uh, it, it was just a blocking play. I just had to run and go block the cornerback. Yeah, that's. And that's, did you did you lay him out? <laughs> I tried to. He was a huge guy. I tried to. <laughs> I I appreciate the way you put that. You're an honest man. You said I tried to. I had every intention. I had every. Intention. He didn't right. seem to want to go along with the plan. Is what you're saying to me. Right. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. As the old saying goes, the other guys are on scholarship too. And speaking on scholarship, uh, I'll stick with you for, for a second and we'll talk about that. So you said that you eventually got your scholarship. Tell me about that story. How did you find out? And, you know, I mean, uh, some schools make like an elaborate sort of production out of it. Some it's just the coach calls you and says, you know, we're putting you on scholarship. How was it done with, with your situation? Oh, man, well, my situation, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was – uh. It was it was January fourteenth. It was right after it was right after a bowl game. We got finished in uh, Dallas. Coach Todd Monken, he called me one day. I was just walking outside, and I had just got finished praying. You know, I was just asking God. I was like, I've been down this road for so long. You know, with the walk on process, and I always I just kept saying like I feel it coming. Like I I, I feel it coming. And I looked at my phone, and once I looked at my phone, I seen uh, a number calling me. And at the time, I didn't have have the number saved. I had a new phone. I had uh, picked up the phone. <laughs> and Coach Monken, uh, he told me, he said, uh, what's up, Brick? He said, I'm just calling to let you know that I'm putting you on scholarship. And as soon as I got this, as soon as I got that <laughs> message and I was hearing his voice, I immediately began to start thanking God and really started to, like, really tear up because it was a real you know, amazing feeling that I, never experienced before and I always wanted to feel it and once I feel, felt it it just was like a joyful feeling man it was a real good feeling receiving that scholarship yeah I don't think people quite once again makes you gone through the process and I I'll be honest I never got that feeling I I, I remember when I realized my dream had sort of died in a one game where we were in just a driving rainstorm there's uniform regulations about like essentially how badly your uniform can be damaged before they'll take you off the field. And there's a kid named uh, Robert Golden who played ahead of me um, at a couple different positions. And he also was the guy that played, I mean, was on the depth chart as a backup on both. Uh, we both played on special teams on both kick and punt coverage and kick and punt return. And then he also, um, I was a backup safety. He was a backup corner. And then we were both like way down the depth chart on offense. But if there was some sort of like, bus accident, theoretically, we could have placed a wide receiver, I guess, that came to it. But in one game where he actually was playing, uh, his uniform got damaged so badly that they took him off the field. Like, it was torn. It was like like some of the things we watch those old, like, 1950s films where guys, like, you know, were tearing apart. That's what it looked like. And they said, you know, you got to get off the field. You can't play like that. So I remember Coach Hurd looked at me and looked at Robert. We're about the same size. Says, uh, I'm going to, you know, 
because he calls me over and he's putting me in for Robert. I'm getting all excited. He says, they'll give me a uniform. <laughs> and then I said to myself, yeah, I think I, I think my career is about to end. I think I might be stepping away from this phase of the game. Uh, I love the game. The game didn't quite love me back as much, but still I enjoyed my time. Uh, let's hop back over to Keith. So Keith, Take me. You mentioned that you had some help with your in your recruitment process. Take me through your recruitment process, and how did you end up uh, making the decision you made in terms of where you wanted to complete your education and, of course, your football career? Uh, starting off, I really wanted to go to Baylor University. Uh, growing sure. up in the Waco area, it, it was always a personal dream of mine to go there. Uh, out of uh, Coach Norwood, who now is at Tulsa, he was uh, the guy recruiting me at the time to play safety. And then I was also getting looks at from uh, SMU, UCF. Um, I want to say uh, uh, West Point was looking at me at one point in time. Oh. And then oh, wow. I never – in the back of my mind, I Mary Harden Baylor was kind of there just growing up. And uh, McGregor, I had a few prior athletes go there. And uh, none of them kind of really stuck it out. They could go, go for a year, and then it turned out it wasn't like – it wasn't there. It wasn't for them. And so I knew Mary Hart and Baylor was a place that I could go to, but I really wanted to go play at a Division One school. Right, of course. Nobody so, uh, dreams as a kid growing up saying, man, I want to go to Yankton. I can't wait to go to Mary Hart and Baylor. You know, they all dream because you don't see them on TV. So kids do not dream of one day suiting up for Central Washington. You know, that's not their dream growing up. Uh, right. Man, I'm going to one day, you know, ball out for for Washtenaw University. <laughs> you know, yeah, I get it. So how did it happen? Tell me, you know, sort of how the story played out. Well, I was uh, – it was coming towards the end of the recruiting season, and then there was one spot open on Baylor's roster, and it was a toss-up between me and this other kid for the safety position. And um, the key factor was the ACT test. And mm -hmm. I just got done taking mine, and the kid already had his taken. So the day I took my test, I get a call from Coach Norwood saying, sorry, we decided to go with the another guy, but you can always come on as a walk-on if you want to and try to work your way up. And so I was like, oh, okay, appreciate the offer. Thank you so much and everything. And then I think about – about three weeks later, um, a family friend of mine, they had a coach from the Mary Harden Baylor football team. At the time, he was a GA. He now coaches over at China Spring. His name was Coach Harvey, and uh, they had him over for dinner, and then they were telling him about my story and how I was going to try to go for Baylor and all that. And then uh, after he was done, he gave me a call, and he was like, are you interested at all at going to Mary Harden Baylor? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm interested. I've always heard about the winning tradition, the, the winning tradition there at the school, and how successful everything is, and how uh, if you don't have a, if you don't get on the varsity team, you can also play on the JV team. So either way, I was going to be able to get some playing time in. So that also intrigued me a lot. And so uh, one day, me and my dad go down there on a little recruiting trip, and we look around, and it's an absolutely beautiful campus. It's small, but it's a beautiful campus. And then also, uh, that year, they just broke ground for their brand-new stadium that they have now. And seeing that really was an eye-opener as well, that I could be a part of the first team to ever play in the brand-new stadium. 
And so finally going through the locker rooms, going through their facilities, and also seeing all those conference rings they have up on the wall, I decided to uh, to go there. And um, my plan was to go there for about a year or maybe two years and then transfer over to Baylor and then finish right. my collegiate years there. But, of course, things didn't work out like I planned. And so I ended up playing all of my uh, collegiate years at UMHB. Right. And obviously there's, you know, a relationship established to some extent between the two schools. The Baylor coaching staff is always aware of the guys who are at Mary Harden Baylor. And I think some of the better players at Mary Harden Baylor have that same decision to make. You know, do I want to start all over and see if I can fight my way back up the depth chart at a different program competing against, you know, four and five star and three star recruits? Or do I want to continue to build, as you said, a winning tradition? Uh, that stretches back for decades. I mean, in a weird way, there's been more long-term success at Mary Harden Baylor than at Big Baylor, what you would call it, which has had recent success and, you know, had a couple of good years back in the 80s and 90s under Grant Taft and things like that, but doesn't have the same sort of winning position to have at Mary Harden Baylor, which has been a, a dominant program for decades. Yes, sir. Uh, Coach so, Fred has done an absolutely amazing job over there with that program bringing it from the ground up. I don't know how he does it. I, I just know that that man is a defensive genius. Yes. And I can't remember the last time your school didn't have an All-American at some place on the defense. I mean, it's like every year somebody on that defense is an All-American. I, it probably was the first year he ever had that program started. It might have been the only year they haven't had an All-American on the defensive side. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I agree. That is one of the most – he's probably one of the more underrated defensive minds in America at any level of football, quite frankly. He, he's a guy that, you know, that school's lucky to have him. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Right, yeah. <laughs> They're lucky to have him. I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Uh, his name should probably come up more often for a big job, but I don't, I don't I'm not trying to take him away from your school, but I, I wish you guys – like I said, I wish you guys all the best, but, man, if I were – you know, some of these struggling programs in the Southland Conference or, you know, North Texas State or some of those other places, I'd give them a long hard look. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. So I'm going to move back to Sean now. So, Sean, you mentioned that you'd won your scholarship, and then you mentioned that you lost your scholarship. That's That's got to be a heartbreaker. Take me through that. I mean, you fight so hard for so long to win a scholarship. What happened? Uh, around the time when I wound up, Whenever they wind up saying that I was gonna to have to uh, get off scholarship was because you know I guess they was bringing in some more guys you know as freshmen and stuff, and it was in the summer process, and I wound up having to go throughout the whole summer workouts with with that on my mind like you know I just earned a scholarship now they're taking it back, now I'm in a process in my mind I'm like okay now I'm about to work twice as hard than I was before just so I could get the scholarship back. And once going through the process of having to get it back was like really like really, really mentally tough and I really felt like like I always tell people, you know, like I'm a uh real heavily hearted man on believing in God and I really feel like with 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 gaining my scholarship back again was all because of him because during fall camp, like Three days into the camp, I was, you know, trying to go so, so hard and always uh, was trying to give it all I got, and I wound up getting hurt. 
And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, there is no way that I'm going to get this scholarship back. Like, there is no way that I'm going to get this back because I really can't perform like I can in order for, I mean, and, and, and I can't perform like I should, like the other at least is at this time. Like because you can't I'm get first. reps, and reps is how you get coaches to fall back in love with you. So, yes, right. So so what happened? Right. So um, towards the end of fall camp, you know, we was, we was in the meeting, and I guess we, like at the time, we had just got a new head coach. His name was Jay Hobson. And, yep, I'm very familiar with Coach Hobson, who had a lot of success in the SWAC, which where I do a lot of work is the Southwest Authentic Conference down at Alcorn. But go ahead. Uh, tell me about what happened when the new staff came in. After that time, I just went through a process of, of like, trying to come back and probably just trying to come back and probably just trying to rush my injury. It was a, uh, it was an Achilles injury. I sprained my Achilles. And with the Achilles, you know, playing receiver, that's basically how you come out your breaks. And that's basically how you run using that Achilles. I just went through a process of, you know, trying to come back, and I just couldn't at the time. And uh, throughout the fall camp, I was just, you know, it just really brought tears to my eyes because it uh, made me feel like, you know, I worked so hard for the scholarship, and now I lost it, and now I'm trying to get it back, and there's no way that I can get it back because, you know, of my injury. So I went and, I went until the time I was real, real down on myself during fall camp. And towards the end of the uh, towards the end of camp, we was all in the meeting room, and and Coach Hop was just saying, you know, that he wanted to talk to a couple of guys after uh, after after the meeting, and he said a couple of names, and then the last name that he said, he wound up saying my name, and I'm just saying to myself, like, no way, like, there's no way that I'm about, really about to get back on scholarship, and you know, like. It just it just really was a joyful moment to me, me knowing that it wasn't even in, in my control. Like I don't know, it's just hard to explain, man. It was it's mm. crazy how it happened. I give all the glory to God. Well, you, it's funny you say that because, as you said, it's not like you made some play. It's not like you did something that caught someone's eye. This clearly was something touched him, right? And something said to him that you are worth keeping around, even though you couldn't prove your worth on the field. All right. Okay. And I'll ask you one more question. I'll hop back over to Keith. How would you explain if somebody asked you about the differences between the two staff, going from, you know, Tom Munkin, who had come from Oklahoma State, you know, who had followed, who had worked with um, Coach Fedora, who had previously obviously been at uh, Southern Miss, as an offensive coordinator, he'd been a quarterback's coach. I think he also coached wide receivers at one point in his career as well, if memory shows you correctly. But a guy, an offensive whiz, obviously, an offensive mindset guy is Tom Munkin, well-known for offensive game planning and things like that. Comes from a staff, you know, like I said, that have been at Milton. Some of those guys have been at Milton because you stayed with Coach Fedora. Some of those guys have been at Oklahoma State with Coach Fedora. But, once again, guys mostly known for their offensive wizardry, their offensive mastery. And then Coach Hobson, slightly different. But just tell me what, what things were similar between the two staffs and what things differed in your mind between those two staffs that you played for. Uh, plan for the two staffs, I believe. You know, plan for Coach Monken's staff, you know, with the spread offense, I believe. You know, everything was fast tempo. Um, just like Coach Hop, I believe everything was fast tempo, too, but times, too. And, mm-hmm. and the 
and the difference and the difference between the two was not really a big difference. It just was, you know, as when when Coach Hop came, stuff became stuff beginning to get more tougher and yeah. more challenging for like the players because he actually coached real 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 hard. Yeah. He expects yeah. you he expects he expects the best. All he wants all he asked from you is perfection. That's all that's all he wants. Yeah, that's True. that's how he turned around he, he turned around a program that I mean, not not to be unkind, but it was a floundering program. They turned around um, at Alcorn before he came over to you guys. And so same thing. I mean, he told some guys, you know, some of you guys won't be here, you know, <laughs> because he, they just, they weren't used to being coached that hard. And there were, he had about 15, 16 guys leave, you know, transfer out uh, his first year there because they weren't used to working like that. They hadn't been worked that hard by the previous staff. And some of them found out they liked football, but they didn't love football. <laughs> but they learned when Coach Hobson came in, it's like, oh, well, I – I like football. Football's cool and everything, but I'm not trying to run to throw up. You know, that's, I, I didn't sign up for this. So yes, um, he he runs a tough, a tight ship, as you know, as you know. Uh, I'm gonna swing back over to Keith. So you've fallen in love, or at least in like, with Mary Harden Baylor. Tell me about the coaching staff and what was the impact that the staff had on you in uh, your deciding not only to to play at. Mary Harden Baylor, but to stay at Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, going in, I first was going to play as a receiver there, and I played receiver for my first two years there. And of course, talking to Coach Fred, always a, a very interesting man to talk to. Uh, very can be very intimidating as well to talk to as well. But um, going to my position coaches at the time, it was a uh, Luke Howard who is now the running back coach, and then uh, another. He was the quarterback slash receivers coach was uh, Coach Fredenberg's son, Cody Fredenberg, and talking to them and uh, they sat me down and really made me feel like it was a family there that I felt a part of the family, a part of the tradition that they had, and they sat me down and they were always brutally honest with me. They always told me where I stood, what what are my chances, what they expect of me, and uh, they also asked for what are my expectations of the uh going into the years and then uh, of course Cody Frenberg left these uh past two years and then I transferred over to the defense side of the ball where um defensive coordinator coach Larry Harmon who's also just as smart as Coach Frenberg when it comes to defense, uh he is a very, very demanding man on you. Like he expects perfection, he expects your best at all times. He is going to push you to your limits, and when you get to your limits, he's going to push you even more. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he demands perfection at every second of everything you do. And then uh, my linebacker coach, Jack Johnson, who also was a former UMHB player, uh, he, yeah, and a he knows a really good to... player. I don't know if you've right, ever seen his he tape, actually, he was a baller. <laughs> he was a great player. He's actually on our, I believe, our uh, wall of honor in our yep. football stadium. And so uh, him understanding how our defense works, how the tradition and how the football program is built and also playing with the guys who built that program. I mean, he was probably one of the starting members of this program. So understanding where he came from, where everyone came from to what we have now, uh, he also demanded a lot on our linebackers. And he, um, he pushed us just as hard as Coach Harmon did, but he also – 
when he also made us feel relaxed, made it feel fun, made us feel like we were a part of his family as well. He brought together the linebacker unit, which I'm still in contact with all all the guys, and I asked them how they're all doing it, and they all asked me. And so he he made us feel like we were family in the uh, in the film room. You brought up something great because you said the film room. That's actually where we're going to go next. So, Sean, obviously you watch film in high school, but mostly when you watch film in high school, you're looking at yourself and going, ooh, ooh, look at me. I look sweet. Ooh, go, Brick. Go, over that move. Ooh, right? You're spending all this time looking at yourself, thinking how sweet you look. But you're not always getting everything out of film study in high school. And then, obviously, that really changes. And for you, obviously, going to a D1 program where they have a lot of resources and a lot of technology, it really changes. Tell me about the impact that film study made on you as a player. Well, coming to Southern Miss, I remember uh, I used to always go in the film room. I used to always see one guy in there. I never, I never, I never ever seen a guy that watched more film than Francisco Llanos. Yeah. Right? And he used to always say, watching film will teach you everything about the game you need to know. And, um, Watching film in college, uh, it really just it really showed me a lot, like how to read defenses and you know what to do on offense, how to tell the difference between a cover two, cover three, quarters of defense, and all the different types of defense. It's just film study is very helpful for a receiver. Yes, well, it's everything, as you said. In your offense, you guys go fast, 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 fast. And a lot of what you do is done on the fly. You know, you guys, it's like something happens every 13 seconds. So it's not like someone's pulling you in a huddle and saying, you know, if this happens, if the middle of the field's open, do this, but the middle of the field's closed, do that. You have to do all that stuff while the play is happening because you guys do everything. So, you know, I mean, it's so different from, you know, my era, you know, where we huddled after every play. Uh, you guys go, 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 go. So, same question for you, Keith. Obviously, you've been around coach football coaches since you were a baby, practically. Uh, you've been around the game a long time, but film study obviously changed for you as well. Tell me about the difference between, you know, being a young athlete. You know, you're watching tape, but you're not really, you know, absorbing it the same way. And then when you really, right. really learn to study tape. Uh, watching, of course, we watched a little bit of film in high school, and really it wasn't – we weren't watching – their schemes and their techniques and their tendencies, we were just, like, kind of looking at them, like, oh, well, he looks like an athlete. He looks – oh, this guy looks good. But in college, <laughs> in college, it I mean, we turned out and, like, we would watch – we watched big plays that they had, and we were uh, we would point out the, the key players, but then we started watching what, what were their tendencies. What do you all see? What can you see on the offensive line as the – Lyman's one foot back is his foot back like he's going to drop back in pass coverage or is it is it level to where he looks like he's going to come out of his stance for a run does he look like he's pulling or what does the receivers look like are they just kind of chilling in their stance like they're not really going to go hard or are they down and ready to try to burn you burn you deep and also one thing we really watched was ourselves from we watched every practice almost everything we did and of course, that was always nerve-wracking because you'd go to practice and then you go the whole next day and you're just dreading film because you know you're about to get your butt ripped because you messed up a few times in practice. So it was always a little nerve-wracking going in. 
but just watching yourself and how watching your technique, where where your eyes need to be, um, watching your steps, uh, like can you fix your steps or can you fix how your paddle, are you standing too high or is your stance too low? Just watching all those different aspects really helped out in the film room. Got it. Perfect. I'm going to ask you, Sean, about a play that you made because of something you spotted on tape, a play that you would not have been able to make had you not become a true student of the game. Tell me about a play that you made at some point in your career because of film study. Like a play in the game? Yes, yes, right. Something that, I mean, I guess you could pick something that happened on the practice field if you'd prefer, but a play that you made because of something you spotted, a tendency something about, about a particular defensive rotation or something that you knew what play to make, and you made that play because of something you spotted on tape. Okay, well, I could just uh, give you give you my only catch that I had in college. It was a uh, it was a slant route, and I uh, I knew I knew if I come in if I if I come in tighter, if I change my alignment tighter. I'll be able to get inside the linebacker to be able to get in the window to catch the ball. And uh, in order in order to make that play, I just had to uh, read the linebacker and just get in inside the hole. And I wouldn't what have known. On, say it again, sir. Oh, I was gonna say. I know you're running the slant. Can you lay the play? Set it up for me. Down in distance. What was the play call? Uh, it was like third. It was like third down, third down. It was third and third and seven. It was third and seven. We had uh, it was third and seven. They had called a slant. I was in the slot receiver, and mm-hmm. I just remember. I remember the outside linebacker easing out, and I just crawled in the cranks and just dove and caught the ball. That's all I really remember. Okay. That's fine. And, of course, you play a position that once was, I mean, when I was a kid, slot receivers were basically backups anyway. You didn't, you know, they didn't see the field that much at all because teams were in, you know, you always had a fullback on the field or practically always except, you know, third and long. So you'd always have, you know, two backs, a tight end, two wide receivers, just, you know, the Z and the X. And the rise of the slot receiver really – some of the things that spurred that, one was the K-Gun offense uh, that they ran in Buffalo with Marv Levy and that bunch. And in the USFL, you know, which you guys are too young to remember, but uh, you may have older relatives who may have watched the USFL. There were a couple of offenses, including the one that Jim Kelly was in, that made great use of slot receivers. And what had happened was one of the guys who had been one of the coaches on that staff went on to work for Joe Gibbs in Washington, and brought, you know, Joe Gibbs was a guy that still, he was an innovative, interesting coach anyway, but he had come off of that Air Coriel, Sid Gilman coaching tree, and so he already did some interesting things in the passing game, but he didn't make great use of the slot receiver until after the USL, at USFL folded, he picked up some guys from the USFL and a coach uh, from the USFL who really got into his head how powerful the slot receiver could be, and so he had Art Monk and Gary Clark, and at times he would even have one of his tight ends, either Don Warren or Clint Didier, uh, would be at H, and they would go, sometimes they would stay in and block, wham block on somebody, or sometimes they would go to the slot, or sometimes they would replace Gary Clark, and Gary Clark would go to the slot, 
and they would run some interesting option routes and, and sort of, you know, stick and, and eventually even some deep routes uh, a couple of years into his time there. If you're into that kind of thing, if you're one of, if you're one of those junkies who just like to watch the development of football go from being a two-wide receiver offense to a three-wide receiver offense, and now in some cases there's a lot of teams nowadays will have four wide receivers on the field, even on first down nowadays. You'll see sometimes four, four wide outs, which was unthinkable in the 70s. It's unthinkable. I mean, I've been watching football a long time. It just Four receivers used to automatically mean you were losing, in fact. You were trying to come back from a big margin in the old days. Same question for you, Keith. Tell me about a play that you made because of film study. Uh, I think one – I can think of one is when we were playing uh, one of the teams that always seemed to knock us out of the playoffs, Linfield, and we were playing them for the second time in the quarterfinals, I believe. And uh, it was about third and, third and 12, third and 13, and we knew if – they're in a trips formation, and the running back was on the weak side. That if that running back flared, then that uh, single side receiver he's either going to do a ten yard curl, or if he's going to read, he's going to read me because he was uh, I was on that side, and if I bit a little bit too hard on the curl, he's going to translate it into a a dig. So I, once I saw that curl, or once I saw that flare by the running back, it immediately got my depth. Looked over at the receiver. And once I got a feel for him uh, in our Tampa coverage, uh, we were told to always read the eyes of the quarterback. So once I got a feel for my receiver, my eyes immediately went to the quarterback. I can see him just staring right back at me. So I knew that he he's waiting to see where I go. So I baited the curl and made it look like I was going to overplay the curl. And I knew that receiver was going to then do a dig because I overplayed it. So once I saw his hand come off the ball, I broke in for the dig. And then he threw it, and I had it. Uh, I dove for it and picked it off. Okay, and I'll hop back to uh, to Sean. So what were the circumstances that put you on the field in that situation? As you said, you, you obviously didn't see the field a lot. Uh, what was it that put you on the field for that play that you made? Uh, well, at the time, my senior, I used to uh, well, I always play second string. So, you know, I, I get a couple of reps every once in a while on the field. But it was just one of those – one of those plays when my number was called and I just had to had to execute at the time. So that's what basically made me go on the field. Okay. Got it. Got it. And uh, back to you. So, Keith, talk about what it was that helped you to climb the depth chart. How did you go? Well, obviously, you did it twice on different sides of the ball. But tell me where you started when you first got there on the depth chart as a player and then making your way up the depth chart to eventually when you started playing. Uh, as a receiver coming in as a freshman, I uh, started off as a third-string receiver. Uh, I knew that uh, my chances of starting were a little slim, but if I worked hard enough uh, that I would be able to get it on a varsity spot. And one thing about UMHB 
we emphasize that our starters and second string, they're going to be uh, on the special teams. Like starters are going to be on special teams no matter where you play or what position. And so once I heard that, I was like, all right, I got to – my chance of making the varsity team is going to be on the special teams. So my freshman year, I started, I started on kickoff. I backed up on kickoff return, started on punt and punt return. And then uh, – and I was a third-string receiver still, and I was still being able to go with the varsity team because I started on uh, special teams. And then uh, and then a few – and after week one, I climbed the depth chart up to second-string receiver. And then after week four my freshman year, I had my first chance at a starting spot against our uh, rivals, Harden-Simmons, and it was a homecoming game. So uh, being a little freshman kid and on a senior loaded team, I was a I was a little nervous on my first start. And then uh, after that, me and the other guy we uh, we switched off every series because uh, our coach liked how we brought energy and how we got on our blocks and how our route running and how fresh we were when we were out there. Okay, got it. And. Looking at, uh, going back to you for a moment, Sean, tell me about the going into your senior season, your last year. You know, you obviously you had a redshirt year, so your last, your fifth year, really, of college football. What were some of the goals you had and what were some of the things you wanted to accomplish? You still with me, Sean? Sean, you still with me? Okay, looks like I lost Sean. Uh, well, looks like we've been joined. However, um, let's see who who just joined me. Who just hopped on from from uh, Kansas? All right, Garrett Fugate. Ah, oh, there we go, Garrett. A pleasure. Uh, we've got Keith Renicky as well. So I'll be with you in a moment, Garrett. So uh, let me go back to you for a moment, Keith. Tell me about uh, when. How long did it take you to get comfortable to feel? I don't know. Natural. What are when you switch from one side of the ball to the other, how long did it take you to feel normal again, I guess you might want to say? When I switched over, uh, I, I first started off as a safety, but we were really hurting at the linebacker level. And uh, I took a year off, and then I also gained a few pounds on that year off. So I was at around 205 pounds, which at a Division three level, that's perfect for a linebacker. And I also brought uh, my speed that also uh, really intrigued Coach Fred. And so about nine days into coming back, Coach Fred came up to ask me if I wanted to play linebacker. And I was like, well, I've never played linebacker in my life. I don't know anything about linebackers and their like, techniques and schemes. So it took me it took me that whole – that was about my junior year, and I was a second string that whole year. And, of course, I started on all the special teams. But it took that whole year – and a little bit of the uh, spring season in order to get all the different techniques and schemes and uh, the footwork right. Okay. And what was different? I mean, in terms of the things that are different, how how different was it from what you've been doing before, you know, once you did make the jump? The, I would say the difference was um, understanding where uh, my eyes need to be because I, I had a bad tendency of kind of looking in the backfield as a safety, I mean, you, you have time to to look kind of like glance back there, look at your receiver, look, and you have time and a cushion in order to work with. But as a linebacker, you're up there and you have 
three yards and all of a sudden you have a second before a lineman is punching you right in the face. So right. understanding where my eyes need to be and also my footwork, if I took one wrong step in another direction, I'm getting trapped by a tackle and they're popping it off right off his butt. And so I think the hardest thing was understanding my footwork and where my eyes need to be. Got it. Got it. Okay. And take me through, you know, the the other mental side of it, right? So you're physically in a different place. What what differed for you mentally? I would say mentally was because uh, I could do – I could look at receivers and make a call based on our defense, but I never had to make a call for the defensive lineman growing up as a, in high school and everything, I was always in charge of the secondary. And all of a sudden now I'm one of the guys that have to make defensive adjustments if the running back just steps up a few feet, if the, if the running back is level with the quarterback or if he's just a yard behind him. And that little difference made a huge difference for our front, our front four and also our alignment. So having to sit there and all of a sudden look up and see that running back step to step back a little bit, I have to quickly get our defensive linemen into their right gaps, into their right technique. Excellent. And, of course, Garrett, you spend your whole life trying to victimize people like Mr. Mr. Reineke. Uh, talk to me about growing up, other sports you played, and how did football end up winning your, your heart? How did you finally discover that football was the thing that was going to end up dominating your athletic life at least yeah so uh growing up i was always um three sport uh sometimes four sport uh kind of guy you know i started playing football in, in second grade the first year i could i i spent uh, my my grandpa had given me a hundred dollars for my birthday and I, I told my mom i wanted to play and that was the cost of an administration or registration so uh i i gave that to her and told and told her to sign me up um and I've loved football ever since then, but, you know, I was always kind of a – whatever se- uh, season it was, that was my favorite sport. So I played basketball um, and baseball all growing up. And then in high school, I did uh, track too. So I was basketball, football, and track. And then um, really I'd say after my junior year, um, we really weren't very good. And um, I didn't even have a, a, a great year statistically or anything, but – I, I kind of uh, knew after that I wanted to play in college and uh, kind of pursue that. Um, so then I ran track to, you know, better myself for football my junior and senior year Babe, of high school, and it uh, kind of went from there. Well, I will. I'm getting – yes, Nina. Okay. Let me, I got, okay. Yes. Bye. Okay. And what was it particularly about football that you think? I'm sorry, what was that? What was it about football that made you – what is it about football that sort of pushed it ahead of other sports in your mind? I think, um, you know, growing up it was the hitting. It was uh, it was just, a, you know, it's so competitive and, and you, you know, you get to hit kids and, and that way. But uh, now that uh, as I got older and kind of started um, – you know, playing quarterback, obviously, I just think it's a, uh, for me, um, it's, 
as a quarterback, it's the coolest position in all sports. You know, um, a lot you can con- control a lot, and it's a very unique position. And I kind of fell in love with that. Um, and I think that's something that you know pushed football ahead of uh, the other sports I was competing in. Okay, got it. And I'm going to swing back to you, uh, Keith, and I believe let me just six of you might have joined me as well. Okay, yes. So I'm going to swing back to you, Keith, um, for last, really the last couple of questions. And, yes, okay, I see I've got a couple of people on with me now. Uh, who just hopped on from Texas? That's Blake Jackson. There's Blake. Okay, so got it. Um, swing back to you for a moment, Keith. So tell me, Keith, as you prepared, I mean, you, you arrive as a young player. You're, you're just trying to contribute. You switch sides of the ball. Going into your final season of college football, what were some of the goals you'd set? What were some of the things that you wanted to accomplish? And what was the legacy you wanted to leave at Mary Harden Baylor? Of course, our number one goal was to win a national championship, being so close so many times, and just having a a small taste for it. We were extremely hungry on actually being the first team to win a national championship for uh, Mary Harden Baylor. And um, one of my personal goals was to be a uh, – be on uh, the first team conference as well and um, I turned I ended up being on that uh, selected group and then also making the uh, second team all-american list as well which was uh, an absolute blessing but uh, the legacy I wanted to leave behind was to be the first team ever in UMHB history to win a national championship and tell me about what you guys do to try to achieve that goal and you know how that all played out for you uh, going into that season, that spring, uh, having a a loss to Linfield, and we all knew the next season that we were going to play them in week three, that uh, it was a different atmosphere in the weight room. It was a different type of hunger that we had. And the uh, the leadership that we had on that team was absolutely fantastic. Uh, players really stepping up and uh, making sure that other players on the team are doing what is necessary in order for us to win. Okay, got it. And take me through the playoff run. Take me through that experience. And, you know, obviously, you know, you guys did some amazing things. Tell me about what that was like and how it was different from other years. Uh, Going in, we knew that we had a great chance uh, winning this one. We uh, just came off that year winning, uh, beating Linfield in week three with a pretty good margin. And then, we are playing week one in the playoffs against a really talented team, but we knew uh, they were a run-heavy team that uh, played in our favor, and that was one thing that we specialized on the defense as is stopping the run. And then our uh, our offense with Blake Jackson, who's on the phone with us, him at quarterback being di- a dynamic threat and the, re- the talented receivers we had, uh, we knew our offense, if we just gave them time, would uh, get rolling and put on some points. And so then we go into week two, and we, again, have to play Linfield, which was a, another great game. But understanding – program, Linfield, yeah. Right. Understanding their offense and also seeing what they uh, wanted to do against us in week three helped us prepare for that for that game. And uh, we switched up a few things here and there, but not a lot. And um, just grinding it out and uh, giving our offense – uh, good field position and doing the best we can to stop their air it out offense is always a tough challenge, but our defense answered the call and um, we got it done. 
Yeah. And then we played um, our bit. One of the probably personal biggest challenge for me was facing Mountain Union in that semifinals because uh, <laughs> my freshman year. Because Mountain Union not, is basically Alabama in your right. like, Division Three. <laughs> right. And my freshman year, we went up to Mountain Union and played them in the semifinals as well. And uh, we were beating them, but then in the second half, they came back and we lost by, uh, I want to say, like six or seven points. And so it was kind of like a revenge game for me being so close and uh, getting beat by them and how, like, when they when they beat us, their fans rushed the field and just that feeling in my stomach kind of burned inside. And then going into that game, we knew we had a great chance. They had a freshman quarterback, and um, we knew that he's heard about how uh, our defensive line gets to the quarterback. And we knew that um, – that uh, he's going to be a little intimidated, that he's going to want to get the ball out as soon as he can. He doesn't want to hold it. So we were going to uh, be prepared for any kind of short short uh, check down, short passes, stuff like that. And then um turns out our uh, defensive – our defensive lineman, our defensive end, ends up getting a pick on a screenplay that seals the deal for us. And then we go into the um, the Oshkosh game, which was another team that just really wanted to kind of run it down your throat. Just They're going to come at you with everything they have, a run-heavy team. And it was uh, it was going to be up to – it was going to be another defensive battle because they had, I believe, 10 seniors as well on their defensive side. So we just knew that all we need to do is just get get ahead. And once we get ahead, our defense was going to be able to hold out and uh turns out we on that last drive they're marching down on us and then our Mike linebacker Matt Cody ends up getting the uh game winning pick. Okay. And I've got two quarterbacks, obviously, so I have to ask you guys a little bit about how you ended up at that position. I'll I'll bring you on, Blake. When did you first start playing that position? Uh, I started playing football at the age of five. You know, my dad was a, a coach, and, uh, and, you know, he's been around football his whole life. And I, I've been playing quarterback since I was five years old, never changed um, ever since. And that's what I've been from the get-go. So you've got 16 or 17 years of experience. Yes, sir. So you're up there with Tom Brady, basically. I mean, <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, that's what I like to think sometimes. I like to think that. But, yes, sir. I think uh, maybe his experience is a little bit different than mine because, you know, he's been doing it a while. In the he's been doing it a while. He's done okay, you know. On the professional <laughs> level, you know. Pee wee football uh, is a little different, but it's uh, it's uh, it's, it's all good. Yeah, right. Okay, and um, I'll I'll ask Keith sort of my final question for him, and then I'll spend the rest of the time with you and Garrett. Uh, so Keith, I'm gonna push you forward a few years into into the future, if you don't mind. Take a trip with me to about 2020. So 
I'm going to be very honest with you. You're one of those guys who's going to be kind of knocked around on that from 50, 52, 53, you know, just off the 53-man roster kind of experience where, you know, you're some special teams coach will like you enough that he, you know, he remembers you, you know, knows somebody who knew who liked you and brings you in and tryouts and getting cut, practice squad, activated, cut, picked back up. That yo-yo experience, I'm just warning you. You know, I, I, I pick a lot of you, but you're the kind of guy that is in that fight, that is able to fight for 53, you're going to be in that fight because you're going to be number 55 sometimes on that 53. You're going to be the 51 on that 53. You know, it's going to be a yo-yo experience. But I think if you stick with it, maybe three years in the future, you'll be one of those guys that becomes a key member of a special teams unit and then eventually shows people that you can do a little bit more than that and gets a chance to actually show that you can play some safety. Uh, my one last question also is tell me about your, your pro day experience. Now, obviously, it's a big deal when a guy who's playing at Mary Hart and Baylor or playing at Linfield or playing at, I mean, Mount Union to some extent can command a certain amount of attention at their own pro day, but a lot of the, even some of the Mount Union guys will go to, you know, a pro day nearer to where they grew up or, you know, Ohio State or whatever it is, someplace if they can. Tell me about your pro day experience and how do you feel like you you performed? It was a it was a really cool experience. One thing I will never forget uh, going into their facility and then seeing all these cameras, all these scouts, all these all these professional teams. Where growing up, I mean, that's one thing I dreamed about was just having a chance to prove myself. And all of a sudden, I'm looking right at it. And so uh, we're sitting there, and of course, the first the first group of guys, the Baylor athletes, they're all getting done and then watching them perform and everything was really cool. And then all of a sudden, here we go. We're the second session groups are is up and we're going into their field house and we're doing height and weight and then we're doing the vertical, the broad and the bench press and all that inside Baylor's facility and also with these professional scouts watching us and and, and everything that we do. And uh, it was a little nerve-wracking at first, but I like, just had to really concentrate on what I was doing and understand that I belong here, that this is this is the one chance I get and that I have to I have to succeed in it or do the best that I can. And uh, I put up some pretty good numbers. Uh, okay. I put up the well, numbers well, take, that I take, take, me, take me through it. Go go back to your – let's start with the actual factuals. What did you weigh in? What was your height and weight when in, they measured you? I, uh, my height was six feet. I weighed in at 199 pounds. And then my vertical jump was a 36. My broad well, was solid. a 910, uh, and I got 21 reps on bench. Wait, go back. Did you say 21 on bench? Yes, sir. Well, yeah, so you did play some linebacker. You you repped out like a linebacker. That's not a, that's not a safety That's not a safety number. Well done. Thank you. Um, do you remember what you got on any of the agilities, you know, uh, short shuttle, three cone, 40, anything like that? No, sir. Uh, unfortunately, we don't know our times yet. Uh, my agent is oh. currently in the process of asking the scouts and seeing what they what they clocked in at. Okay. I know some people will, like, you know, have their boy, you know, on his phone or something try to sign them, but – but, yeah, let me know when you get that because I, when I build out your profile from Nuts and Bolt Sports, uh, I'd love to have all that so I can have a complete profile of you. Well, yes, sir, I will. 
Excellent. Keith, I want to wish you all the best. And obviously I'll be spending some time with your friend Blake now and, and uh, another quarterback that impressed me, Garrett Fugate. Uh, but please, uh, you'll get an email from me later today, probably in a couple of hours, that'll have a list of questions, some of which are similar to or almost the same as some of those we touched on today, and the others will be different questions that we didn't get a chance to get to. But it'll be all the things that I want to make sure I cover in your profile. Also, please send a picture so I can use that uh, on the on the profile I'm creating for you with what I call my blue light specials, guys who I think are going to be you know, late round or possibly undrafted free agent guys, but I think have a legitimate shot to stick. Yes, sir. I will. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So now we're going to go deep into quarterback country. Um, so Garrett, people are going to ask, how did you, you know, end up where you ended up? Because when people look at you, I mean, I, I just remember looking at your tape thinking, you know, why isn't this guy at, you know, Kansas or North Texas or, you know, Central Florida or whatever. I mean, you could you clearly could compete at a, another level. What was the story of your recruitment and how you ended up making your decision about where you wanted to complete your education and your football career? Yeah, so people ask me that quite a bit. Um, I grew really late in high school, so... Ah, the Aaron Rodgers thing. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely part of it. Um, you know, going into high school, I was like, I was probably 5'5", five, five, weighed 100 pounds. Um, didn't oh. really grow till. After my, oh my God! <laughs> so you used to be a, you used to be a slender little girl, is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of girls that were bigger than me. Um, oh my gosh! But uh, so like after my sophomore year, I, I had a, gr- a pretty big growth spurt, but I still only weighed about 160 pounds. So I played my mm-hmm. junior year at probably 160, 165, and um, we weren't very good. We only won two games, um, and, a lot, and a lot of our offense was me just you know, running around for my life, really, uh, trying to make players. And then um, a really senior year probably only weighed 175. Um, you know, had a really good senior year, but uh, we didn't really make a run at state or anything. Um, and I didn't really understand the recruiting process very well either. So I didn't uh, do anything. I didn't do anything this summer before my senior year to help me out. So you weren't, you weren't going to camps? You weren't firing off your tape to a bunch of coaches, that kind of thing? No, I was playing AAU basketball, and and I was, you know, um, and I wasn't obviously, you know, one of the really highly recruited guys, so I was kind of just fell through the cracks, I think. But I did um, actually get uh, some op- like some walk-on offers, and then Texas State actually had verbally offered me, and I was um, oh. about to take, I was going to take my official visit down there. I had it set up for the next weekend, um, and I quit hearing from the coaches, and you know, I was kind of wondering what was going on. And, what happened was that uh, left and gotten um, went uh, their staff went uh, offensive side of the staff went and took the job in Memphis. So right. that uh, that offer kind of fell through the cracks. But um, so then that's where uh, Central Missouri. I went on my official visit there, and you know I thought it was a great place, um, and I was going to be able to do some good things there. And so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that decision. Got it. Similar question for you, Blake. Tell me about your high school career and when did you, when did you first start to hear that you might have a chance to play at the collegiate level? Um, you know, I started my sophomore year of high school on varsity, and uh, that was my first year. And after that year, uh, you know, that was like the first year that my high school had one district. We had like a really good year. like, And that was the first time that we had one district in, I think, 20 years. And... Um, so that was, like, an exciting thing. And then after the season, I went to, like, a whole bunch of camps and, and stuff like that. And 
pretty much from just building up, you know, uh, my name and, and stuff like that. Going into my junior year, I had a lot of interest, and then I had another good junior year. And then so after my junior year, I started going on to these junior, junior days. And um, by the end of my junior season, I had, had an offer from the University of Missouri. And uh, that's what I had verbally committed to going into my senior year. And uh, my senior year, the second game, my bad, third game of the season against uh, Dickinson High School, I ended up uh, getting uh, like a low hit and ended up uh, tearing like like tearing some ligaments in my ankle. So I was out for oh. the rest of the season. I was out for the rest of the season for my senior year. Um, and just from that, uh, all the way from that that one getting hurt, all the way up to February uh, for signing day. Um, I, didn't, I didn't sign my letter of intent. Of intent. Uh, I wanted to keep my options open, and um, and, and pretty much so they they didn't wait on me. You know they gave my scholarship to somebody else. And uh, yeah, uh, just so you know, they don't wait on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're yeah. unless you're Cam Newton or something, they don't wait yeah. on anybody. <laughs> they, they, they didn't they didn't wait on me to sign. Um, so pretty much, you know, they did, they changed my uh, my status to preferred walk on. Um, but there was a coach that was at the University of Missouri um, that ended up going down to Southeast Missouri State, and uh, whenever he moved there, uh, he, you know, he he brought my film and stuff to the coaches uh, up at Southeast Missouri, and ended up you know getting in touch with me, and I went on a visit there, and and by that time I was just coming, I was just by the time I went on my visit there, I was still in my boots, and uh, I remember going and, and visiting the school, and they ended up offering me a full scholarship, so I ended up you know, life and everything there, and, uh, you know, went to college there for my first two years. Okay, got it. So back to you, Garrett. As you mentioned, you came from a program that wasn't, you know, a powerhouse program, wasn't like there was a bunch of established relationships with schools where they'd been on your campus a lot and they were used to picking up kids from your school. You had to find your own way, and you said there was really not anybody to tell you how it works. You didn't have an older friend, an older brother, a old, you know, a guy you played with in the past who had, you know, gone through the process to guide you. So the decision making process was that all your own? Did your parents help you to figure out what to do? What helped you to, to finally solidify what you wanted to do? Yeah, my parents helped a lot. They they were really supportive and um once we kinda started figuring it out, the recruiting process a little bit after you know, during my senior year and afterwards. Uh, I, I talked to them a lot, you know, every step of the way. But, uh, you know, they okay. just always said, what my parents always told me was, because, um, you know, I wanted to go to a school where I could be successful academically and, you know, set myself up for life after football, obviously, because, you know, it's going to happen whether it's this year or um, in the 15 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's it's going to yeah. happen. It happens to everybody. Brett yeah. Favre, you know, eventually, even for him, he had to figure out what he was going to do after the game. Right, right. So, you know, what my dad always told me was don't pick a school you wouldn't um, – you couldn't see yourself out at if football ends. If, you know, if you have – if something happens and you can't play football anymore, make sure you're at a place where you're comfortable with um, without football. And and uh, so that's kind of when I was making my uh, final decision on, on where to go to school, um, that's kind of what I did. And I didn't want to walk on somewhere. Um, so at quarterback, that's a tough position to walk on at um, to prove yourself. So – and I didn't want to go the JUCO route for academic reasons, um, so that's how kind of how uh, I ended up 
at Central Missouri. Got it. And tell me about the staff there. Um, I happen to know some members of the staff. They have a very – they might not be super well-known names in coaching, but you have a really great coaching staff. Tell me about some of the guys there and what impact they made on you. Yeah, well, I'll start with uh, our head coach. Uh, coach Savota is – I mean, he's awesome. He's um, hes a great football mind offensively for sure, and that was a big reason why um, I, I, I chose Central Missouri. He, he uh, sat down with me and – you know, on my official visit and kind of went over what um, he thought I could do in this offense and stuff uh, and that kind of stuff. And he actually, you know, they changed the offense a little bit to to um, work with my skill set. And uh, he was a big reason why I went there for sure. You know, he'd been successful at UCLA. Um, he went. He was part of uh, the turnaround at Northwest Missouri State when they were went from 0 and 11 to to the next year, I think they were like five and six. And the next year after that, they were national champions, but probably the biggest turnaround in college football history. He was part of that. So I knew he had, he was going to be a good coach for me and he had big goals at central Missouri. And I knew he was going to be there all my whole uh, career. That was a big thing. I wanted to play, you know, for the same coach. Um, so you can form a relationship and, you know, be successful with that coach. And then our offensive coordinator, uh, John McMiniman actually got there, uh, just the spring before I started uh, my first year. So, uh, and he was awesome for me. You know, he, he's a, a great coach. Um, gave me a lot of freedom, uh, which was really fun. You know, I had uh, the, the senior year I, about probably two or three times a game. He would just say, Garrett, this series is yours. And I would call the full series, um, which is awesome. I had complete freedom during my senior year to change plays whenever I wanted I get out of stuff, check into stuff, whatever it was. Coach McMenamin had set um, our offense up that way so that uh, I had complete freedom, which was awesome. And uh, he was definitely a big part of my success in college. And I think will be the way those guys have set me up and, and coached me up the last five years, I think will help me in the future as well. Okay. and. Tell me about your, your offense itself. Obviously, it was an offense that demanded a lot of the quarterback. What were some of the things you had to learn to do to succeed within that offense? Yeah, so we are we're spread for sure. I mean, we were all shotgun stuff, um, a lot of read option stuff. And the thing that helped me uh, the most succeeding in our offense was uh, when Coach McMenamin got here, he really uh, put a focus on me learning um, the O-line, what the O-line was doing extremely well. So um, that's kind of the big jump I made from my junior to senior year was really understanding why we're running plays, how we're blocking them, um, if, you know, what the blitz is coming, what we need to do to get guys in the right position uh, to, to hurt the defense. And uh, that was the biggest thing for me is, you know, really understand the game more and why we're doing stuff, not just that we're running this play, know where everyone's going, understand why we're running the play and how um, what we think the defense is going to do. And why the reason we're running the play is, you know, if they're in cover four, we think we can hurt them here or here or whatever it was. But just, you know, getting to that point where I understood, you know, kind of how a coach thinks um, really helped me excel in the passing game for sure. And also being able to check the ball or check – 
into runs or um, out of runs, depending on defensive alignment was big, and I think it helps our offense a lot. And, and, Blake, the same question for you. What are some of the demands that your offense puts on you as a quarterback? What are you expected to do, and what are your responsibilities in terms of protections and reading and all of that? Uh, you know, uh, going into this, this uh, past season, you know, we had a new offensive coordinator, uh, Stephen Lee. Uh, Coach Lee came from West Texas A&M. Uh, you know, he brought a lot of new philosophies and and brought a lot of new uh, things as an offense, uh, especially as a quarterback, to learn. And uh, I enjoyed every single moment of learning that, that offense. You know, he gave the quarterback, you know, the key to the Ferrari. You know, he, he, <laughs> we pretty much – he gave us everything, um, you know, control over, you know, protection. Uh, based off of, like, box checks, you know, how many guys are in the box. Uh, uh, you know, we looked outside – like our, we did a lot of RPO stuff on uh, run pass option, and so like every play, every play there would be three different options within that play. So that means that I could either, based off of one read, I could hand off the ball. Second read, I could run the ball, or third read, I I could pass the ball. And there was just you know a lot of options within one play, and you know it, at first it was kind of hard to learn, but once you got it down, it was one of those things that people had a a hard time uh, trying to adjust to and and trying to handle.
Derek, Derek, can you take me sort of through your, your stru- not struggle, but your travels, your journey up the depth chart? Obviously, when you first come in, there's guys ahead of you on the depth chart. Uh, what did you have to do to make your way eventually to becoming a starter? Uh, yeah, well, the first thing was uh, I needed to gain weight coming into college. So I, I read. <laughs> right, good point, because you were like, built like a supermodel at first. <laughs> yeah, I definitely needed to gain weight. So uh, I redshirted, and, and I did that um, for that during that redshirt year. Uh, came in at, you know, 175, 180 maybe. Um, got to over, you know, 200 pounds that first year and kind of continually just gained weight every year after that. But um, the biggest thing for me was going uh, – the offense we run at Central Missouri is pretty complex. I have a lot of stuff to the quarterback to learn and uh, just getting to that point where um, I'm comfortable with the offense it was the biggest thing. So my freshman year, um, a junior started ahead of me and had a good year. Uh, and I, I probably wasn't ready to be a starter that early. Uh, I played a little bit in a backup role, uh, running the ball. Uh, and then my sophomore year, where I really kind of made a big jump, and I, I definitely felt like I was ready to be a, a starter, and, and not only just a starter, but, you know, all-American type player, um, but we had a returning starter, and um, even though I felt like you know I should should have been the starter, I uh, I stayed behind him and um, played a little bit that year as well, uh, not as much as I would have liked, obviously, and actually um, punted the ball for us the whole year. <laughs> uh, was not very good at it, but ended up having a 40-yard average, I guess. So. <laughs> Uh, and the, kind of what, what the team needed out of me. Um, but then for my junior year, you know, uh, we like I said, we got Coach McMiniman came in, and um, I worked a lot with him to, you know, really be prepared. We changed a little bit up, but the offense didn't change too much. Um, and one thing I did before I was a starter, um, something that I thought, you know, one thing I could control was uh, the weight room stuff. Um, I, I set a goal to break every – quarterback lifting and testing record, uh, 40, 5, 10, 5, all that. Um, I wanted to have every record to just to prove, you know, um, I'm the hardest working guy here. Uh, I'm the, and, and on top of that, you know, obviously I have the talent and uh, I, ended up doing, I ended up doing that. That's something I was really proud of, uh, you know, having every record at one point um, in the weight room and on the testing side of it. Okay. And Blake, the same question for you. Once again, you show up. You know, you're the new kid at first. Like being the new kid at school, the kid any place. Everybody's bigger, stronger, knows more than you. What was it you had to do to climb your way up the depth chart when you first got into that QB room? Um, I know. At when are you talking about at Southeast Missouri or UMHB or both? Well, both. I mean, one then the other, because you had to be the new kid twice in your situation. Yes, sir. Uh, at Southeast Missouri, you know, I went in. Um, before I went there, they had a quarterback of the name of uh, Matt Scheibel, and uh, he was pretty, you know, he had broke every single quarterback record at the school. That, yeah, you know, he was He was. He was very good. <laughs> he was very yeah. good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's actually one of the guys that really 
like secured me going there uh, to just talking to him and getting to meet him and like the, the relationship him, me and him built after you know my visit and stuff like that uh, it just really drew me there and um, you know so I had some big shoes to fill uh, or try to fill as a freshman going in and uh, I know my freshman year you know they had told me okay we were going to redshirt you you know uh, and just, you know give you a year to learn the system and learn everything about college and all this kind of stuff and well uh, I think it was two weeks before the season started. The uh, the starter ended up going down with a uh, ACL tear, and we only had three quarterbacks on the depth chart. So I ended up got, I ended up getting moved up to second string, and uh, and they pulled like they pulled my red shirt, and they were like, we're not going to use your red shirt unless we have to. And uh, yeah, so but my freshman year, uh, first game against Central Michigan, I ended up getting in and playing. Um, but I think the the main thing about just going in with both programs that I can say is just being a new guy and having to try to work your way up is to continue to keep on working and have, have, have like continue to get better and uh, just keep you know keep faith and keep keep your uh, you know your mental right and just don't let any anything that happens throughout that whole process. I, I just had to make sure that you know my mind was right and that I I never lost my drive to to be better and to eventually be that starter. Got it. And you have the experience of going through the experience twice, which, you know, a lot of guys don't. A few guys do. How was it different for you the second time you had to be the new guy and, and fight your way up? Uh, the second time, you know, always like the first time, any with anything, uh, you know, experience, just go, going through that experience, the second time I, I knew – uh, you know, what to expect and knew what I had to do in order to, you know, get more playing time. And, and, and uh, so I feel like the second time it was a lot easier, you know. Um, I was a lot wiser in the subject at hand. You know, uh, I went through it before. And um, so, you know, just knowing I had to outwork you know, the, other, the other guys at everything I did, and that, that was from on the field to off the field, uh, you know, classroom, uh, uh like, you know, like Garrett said, with testing, the quarterback testing thing at our school, we had that same thing, and I made a goal set out and break all the quarterback records. And, uh, I did, and, you know, I just wanted to make a statement. I just had to do things that were uncommon and, uh, and weren't common in all the, uh, the other quarterbacks to differentiate myself from everybody else. Oh. Well, congratulations to both of you uh, for setting a a goal like that and, and working hard enough to achieve it. I'm going to hop back to Garrett for a second. So when did you begin to feel comfortable in your offense? When did you begin to feel like, okay, I don't have to think as much. I can do this without having to rack my brain. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I was I felt that way for my first start. I think really my sophomore year is when um, I, I, was, I was definitely comfortable enough to where I I could have gone out there and, and been the starter and been, you know, a really good player for us. And I, but I didn't get to start my sophomore year. I played a little bit and I was really comfortable when I was out there. And then, you know, that spring where you're the, the number one guy, and then going into the next fall as the number one guy was really important for me. Um, you know, as, as a leadership standpoint and uh, just a personal confidence standpoint. So really, for my my first start, I, I was, um, I was very comfortable and very confident and and uh, what I, I could do. And actually, it's funny, Coach McMiniman, after the first start, he, 
he always talks about that game. We actually were playing against Missouri Western. Um, we hadn't beaten them in a, in a long time, and uh, we're down, uh, you know, four, four or five points, I think, on the last drive. And Coach McMiniman is like uh, – we, we threw the ball four or five times, had some big throws, and ended up having a game-winning touchdown that drive. And Coach Mackars goes back and says, you know, he didn't have uh, – he had, it was his first game, you know, being a coordinator for me, calling plays. And he says, you know, I didn't know if you could really throw the ball yet here, be, you know, be the guy yet. So it, it kind of got to the point where it was, you know, we're going to win or lose the game right here. And we ended up winning. And he said, after that, I was, you know, really comfortable with you. Um, and the next game I had uh, I had second most yards in school history. So um, – oh. Uh, it was really, I, I think, uh, like I said, my sophomore years when I felt um, really comfortable. And then junior year, first start, I came in and, and you know, I had all the confidence in the world. And um, that really helped. Um, so, you know, maybe sitting that extra year was a good thing. I don't know. Obviously, I wish I would have been playing. Um, but I was definitely ready to play once I once I stepped into that starting role. Okay. Blake. I think a lot of people understand that players run and they lift weights and they practice and they study the playbook even. I don't think they understand how much tape, how much game film you have to study to play effectively. How much time would you estimate you spend in an average week during the season studying tape? Man, during the season, uh, that I know 40, I'd probably say 30% of the stuff that we do Physically, it, like on the field, it's going to be like 30, 30% of the time, and 70% of the time is all classroom, film study, uh, you know, just the, just learning, uh, you know, each opponent each week. And throughout that whole – and it's it's a big – it's a it helps out a lot, you know, being able to study film. And cause some people can study film. They can go in there and just watch, you know, football plays over and over again. But if they go in there not knowing – like what they're supposed to be looking for or what they need to look for or they just don't know, you know, what needs to be to be looked at, then it, it's kind of like a waste of time. But, you know, one thing that I, I learned at South Missouri and in UMHB also is how to effectively watch film and, and, you know, get a good film session in. And that has helped my game tremendously um, over my course of my college career is just studying film and getting in the – the film room and just learning, you know, just different um, tactics of different teams and, and the fronts of defenses and just different stunts. It helps out with so many things. Um, it's like, I, I feel like if people can really go in and, and learn how to watch film, just for every, any position and learn how to watch film effectively, it's going to improve their game on the field, uh, no doubt. Got it. And that brings me Perfectly. Nice segue to my next question. I'll stick with you for the moment, Blake, then I'll hop back to Garrett. Tell me about a play that you made specifically because of something you spotted, a tendency, something about the way a team aligned or something they like to do in a certain situation, and you were able to take advantage of that and make a play that came directly from your film study. Um, I know this year uh, a lot of teams, like uh, they would like to put pressure on me. Uh, they wanted to get the ball out of my hand fast and uh, – I know what we did. Um, there was a bunch of teams that did it. One team that comes to mind is ETBU, East Texas Baptist University. Um, they would stack, they would bring their Sam line, 
that being, being you know, they, they're probably besides that. And I would realize on film and the coaches during the league, realize little things like that. And uh, just being able to see that on film. And then when it came to game day, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, he, you know, he's about to, he's about to try to add seven. He's trying to add seven. And, and Booker, I would be able to put, you know, make the correct checks uh, to get our team and our offense in the best position to, you know, be successful. And, uh, you know, and it, it was, it was, it could be that week. It was as simple as, you know, just, Changing protection, the slot protection to him, um, or the from checking to a quick screen pass, a quick pass, quick game pass, and just it was just based off of whatever play we had called at the time. Okay, same question for you, Garrett. Take me through a situation where maybe they were trying to hide something, trick something, disguise something, whatever, but you saw through their attempted ruse because of <laughs> uh, being such a student of the game. Uh, yeah, I said one one play that I guess would stand out in that aspect is uh, uh, when we played Northwest Missouri, the eventual national champions. You know, they had a really yeah. really good defense, probably the best in the country. Um, yes, and they would do it. They did a great job, you know, keeping plays in front of them and stuff. And and uh, they relied heavily on their front seven. But what they did, um, which I you know kind of watched on film, was they tried to when they went. Um, Cover three, they would really overlap their corners um, to try and cover, you know, on two ver- on uh, we had uh, two two vertical routes um, off a of play action, and so one one thing we really focused on so I, I was getting the safety out of the picture and hitting that inside guy before the overlap um, comes on, and we ran a play where we ended up scoring a touchdown on where. Um, that that corner tried to undercut uh, a ball um, overlapping the second receiver, and I knew it was coming, so I could I, and I was able to place the ball farther far enough inside to where I knew um, the corner wasn't going to get there, and uh, we had already gotten rid of the safety uh, with play action and, and eyes. So you know that's just a little thing that you can pick up on, and you know end up helping your team out in a big way. Um, and a lot of times it's just uh, last year for me was just picking up, you know, little things in protection um, that I think, you know, happen maybe 10, 15 times a game, but you just switch the protection or tell the running back which guy's blitzing uh, just on stuff you picked up from film. And, and that stuff can and be a huge difference maker in a game uh, if you pick up a blitz or, you know, hit a, hit a um, have the O-line slide the correct way. Um, that stuff like that just can be huge. The play you just described, can you call it, call it for me in your system? Uh, I think, yeah, I think we would have been in um, Lou Hulk at Gusto Wright streak, which I think was the full play. Um, so that Gusto action, we had we had guys, uh, the O-line was pulling. Um, so right. simulate, simulate uh, you know, just power, yeah, right to sell um, the sell the run, yeah. Right, and that pulled up the uh, safety and linebacker, and then um, street. And was had, the and did you have the F in motion? Was there? Any, I was trying to figure out what. To, I was trying to go through what you just called and figure out was there a motion in there or a shift? No, no, sir, no, sir, no motion. Um, okay, okay. That that's just that was full. That was the uh, formation, protection, and play. Protection uh, and the play. Okay, got it, got it. 
Uh, same question for you, Blake. The the play you described, can you call it for me in your system? You know, uh, our system, um, like I said, we we had that RPO system, multiple, you know, where you can have multiple plays. So it's like it was very, it would be like literally red. It would be red forward, and we would we'd be like Rex, red forward, and red forward would be telling us that's a that's a run play. RPO with all different options within that play, and it's literally based off. It's literally based off of all of my, what I'm seeing back there. So I would right. set the protection. Like I would go to the line, and I would put the protection. Um, you know, it either be I'd say Army Navy, which maybe uh, would be you know your six man protection, and then five man protection would be either police or sheriff or you know local. We all base it off of local protection versus like national, like ah, like okay. yeah. And then uh, and if we had to do max protection, it'd be brick and block. And I just it was just all based it was all based off of what I was seeing. And then um, you know, if there was if that if that Sam would walk down and we were in army protection or we were in uh, police protection, I'd just go up and say easy, easy brick or block, and that put us in max protection with the back end, keep the back end. And then uh, I'd either go and give out – we would do hand signals um, to signal out to the receivers, like, hey, we need to do this, quick screen, or, hey, we need to do a quick little hitch or uh, like a quick route to get the ball out of our hands. Okay, got it. So I, I like the the, the thing that the, you know, Sheriff's Army Navy, that's cool. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that fascinates me is how much play calling has changed in the past 40 or so years. You know, you used to have West Coast, it would all be red, right, you know, 88, uh, you know, X special, you know, or all go or whatever, and you would, you know, read out essentially everybody's assignment, you know, from formation, protection, routes, uh, adjustments, you know, hots, all that good stuff. And then nowadays, you know, there's some systems where it's, you know, one word even, you know, mm-hmm. or two words. So the world is changing. Yeah, sorry. So I'm going to take, yeah, no. I'm going to take you guys now. You've gone from being the new guy. And being the guy, right? You go from being the new guy to being the guy. Now you're a leader. Uh, I'll go back to you for a moment, Garrett. Once you stepped into the role, I mean, obviously the quarterback position is a leadership position by its very nature. And then once you become an upperclassman on top of that, it, you sort of double down on it. Tell me about some of the things you did as you established yourself as a leader and what was your leadership style? Yeah, so uh, one thing I was I'm really proud of uh, that I accomplished at, at Central Missouri was I never missed um, a summer workout in my uh, a, any year um, before I was a starter or after. Um, and that's something that, you know, I don't think anyone, maybe only one or two other guys have ever done. Um, so that was something, you know, you can show your teammates you're going to show up, you're going to be here, and you're going to be accountable. Um, that's a big thing. Uh, you know, I like to lead uh, by example first and foremost, obviously. Um, and at the quarterback position, that's very important. Um, so that was one thing that I, I did that I wanted to, you know, prove to everybody um, I'm, I'm the guy, I want to be the guy, and you guys can trust me um, to lead this team and, and be accountable. Um, beside that, you know, I – getting guys to to throw with you or whatever um, as much as you can in the off season and stuff like that. Just little things where, 
or getting extra lifts in in the weight room um, and, and bringing not only just doing it. Uh, one thing that I learned, it's, it's, sometimes it's not enough to just do the extra work. You've got to bring teammates up with you, you know, raise the whole level of the team. Um, and that's something that I definitely uh, grew with uh, going from my first year starter to my second year starter was, uh, um, you know, bringing, bringing the team up with you. It's not enough to just do it on your own. Um, this, is, this is the ultimate team sport, and uh, yeah. that was really important to me to do that. Okay. And same question for you, Blake. Tell me about some of the things that you did in establishing yourself as a leader, and what would you say is your leadership style? Um, you know, I'm very from from practice to to game day to you know when we're just having team meals or team activities. I I'm a very verbal person. I'm gonna be, um, you know, when it comes to to my guys, you know, my teammates. I love every single one of them like you know a brother, and and uh, I just want you know the best for them and the best uh, outcome for them. And, and with that being said, you know. Uh, sometimes, you know, everybody everybody has a different way that they take criticism or how they take somebody, <laughs> how they take somebody you know, somebody telling them what to do or, like, trying to correct them. And, and so one thing that I, I did as a leader was I would – I'd get to know my players and I'd get to know, you know, each guy individually. And so then whenever – if it did come to me having to, you know, get on to them, I knew which way I could go about it, you know. There's some guys that you have to go and, and, and you know, yell and be like, hey, man, come on. And then there's some guys that you you have to, you know, go behind after practice and be like, hey, man, you know, pick them up and more quiet and, and just, you know, encourage them. And it, it's just – I think knowing knowing how to – like knowing your teammates and, and knowing, you know, how to, you know, interact with them on an individual level and, and it just helps – with being a leader, like that just comes with it. You know, you got to know your teammates. You got to know um, how to lead. And you know, there's some guys that just they're like, oh, okay, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna lead one way, and I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna yell at everybody. I'm gonna, you know, that might not be, <laughs> at the end of the day, that that might not be effective for some people. So, yeah, right, because uh, some people will shut down if they yeah, feel like yeah, exactly. they don't feel like you care about them. They just feel like you want them they feel like you just want them to do what you want as opposed to feeling like there's a bond if you just yeah, come exactly. down like, you know, an iron boot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, you know, there is there is some guys on teams that, you know, you, you don't have, you're going to have to yell at them, you don't have to get on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then there's those guys that, you know, you can you can handle a situation or, or get them to, you know, to understand where you're coming from, with you know, by just talking to them. And, uh, but yeah, that was one thing I made sure I did as a leader. Just, you know, like Garrett said, like the whole summer workouts. And I know one thing from going D1 to D3, you know, D3 doesn't have a uh, scholarship. So, you you know, you summer workouts aren't mandatory. Like guys don't have to stay for the summer. And one thing I made sure I did was get guys to stay and get guys to to come up and work out and, and, and do like team organized workouts that weren't – because they couldn't be led by like coaches or anything. So, Nope. We really, yeah, it was all players. Like in, and um, you know, uh, UMHB. Like we have a great like exercise science, um, exercise science uh, department, and so a lot of the guys on our on our team are you know into that kind of stuff. So they were like 
they knew like all these workouts and stuff like that. But just you know, just being able to get a bunch of guys up there and go through our plays and go through one on ones and just team bonding stuff was like a real big, real big thing from this year that helped that helped us win the national championship. For sure. Yeah, and, and if I didn't already congratulate you, congratulations. That is, heck, both you guys um, left your programs better than how you found them, as the old saying goes. So that's, to me, that's one of the great accomplishments of any leader. So congratulations to both you young men. Thank you, thank you. Certainly. So let's get into that senior year, right? That's, both you guys have come a long way from where you started. One of you was, you know, built like Giselle Bunchen. You know, when he first started his career as a player, and now you look like a, you know, football player, man. You big, strong man now. And, you know, Blake, you, as you said, had to start one place and finish another, but you, you sure knew how to finish it. Goals. Now, I'm going to guess, you know, Blake, it's not that you achieved one of the goals that you set. I'm going to, I'm going to guess. I'm going to go on a layer that you achieved at least one of the goals that you set for your last year as a player. Uh, so tell me, Garrett, about the goals. You, I don't know if you set them as a team, if you set them individually, both. Tell me about those goals going into your senior year, your last year as a player. What were some of the things you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, so first and foremost, you know, the number one goal for us was to win the national championship. And, um, you know, our junior year, we just missed out on the playoffs. Um, and we were, that was, you know, left a really bad taste in our mouth. Um, and we had, we had, we had a really, we had played, well enough to beat Northwest Missouri that year, and they ended up going undefeated and winning the national championship. And we were actually had a 17 point lead on them going into the um, late in the third quarter. And you know, uh, so we felt like right. that so game got away. With you must have really, you must have really felt for the the Falcons when you watched the Super Bowl. I'm willing to bet, Garrett. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of a big Brady fan, so not really that much. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that that took some of the sting out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so so we knew. I mean, we knew we could play with any team in the country, basically. Um, you know, playing the defending national champs during your conference, and you know, you played them really well. Um, so going yeah. into senior year, we wanted to, you know, especially coming from the MIAA, it's the toughest conference in Division Two, and it and is in my mind, a no, brutally no tough conference. Good God. Yeah. In my mind, there's no question about that. So um, you kind of start your goals with your league, you know. Um, you want to win league because if you can do that, uh, you can win a national championship. Just It's like, like winning that. the SEC West. If you win the SEC right. West, you pretty much feel like you got a shot. Right. I mean, you don't look at the last, you know, 15 years. An MIAA team has been in the national championship most of those years. Um, so that was that's the number one goal, as you know, is, Obviously, go game by game, but you want to win uh, your conference, um, and then you get in the playoffs, and anything can happen there. So um, that was the, the, how I looked about it as a team aspect. And then individually, um, I wanted to grow from last year. Uh, we had on our goal sheets. I wanted to be an All-American, um, and, I, and I and I wanted to, you know, uh, a lot of people write like break all the school records. I didn't even write those because um, our passing record at Central Missouri's, uh, I think, still the national passing record, 5,200 and some yeah. yards by it's Eric Messier, a Harlan Hill yeah. winner. And I knew that wasn't um, that wasn't even my goal because I knew that's not how our offense was going to be successful, throwing the ball 60 times a game. So um, <laughs> I, had, I had individually, it was just uh, I wanted to be the best offense in the country. Uh, I wanted to be the best quarterback in the country. And 
that didn't mean I was going to throw for, you know, 5,000 yards. But, I mean, really, I would have actually ended up being pretty close. If we, um, you know, I didn't get hurt at the end, and we could have advanced in the, in the playoffs. But so that was my goal as individually, you know, lead the offense to, to one of the best offenses in the country um, and be uh, the best quarterback in, in the country and, um, be, you know, be an All-American and all, and all that kind of stuff. Got it. And, of course, like I said, I'm, I'm going to guess that you at least one of your goals was accomplished, but tell me about the goals that you had set coming into that final year, Blake. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the one that you're probably guessing about is, uh, you know, winning that championship. Uh, that was the one of the goals that, uh, you know, that we set every single year that I had been there. And, um, you know, individually, uh, individual goal, you know, that I said, and I I would write out on my mirror in my uh, in my house was you know beat every single quarterback record in program history, um, be all American, be all conference, be you know all that get all you know, and I also set you know uh, some academic goals as well. Um, uh, I had you know I wanted to to do all the the uh you know get all just get all the the record pretty much I just wanted to you know be selfish with that and just take all take all, <laughs> take all the records I just, that's all, I just that's all when I they want. open up the books now you want Blake <laughs> your name is me oh Blake oh Blake Jackson did this too oh, yeah yards yards of the game yards per game touchdowns in a game touchdowns yes, per man. game uh yes, <laughs> completion percentage yards per yes, attempt. Man. <laughs> rushing yards for a quarterback, <laughs> average yards per game. <laughs> Just row know, after you know, row of your name. Yes, sir. I, uh, you know, coming into, like, UMHB historically has always been, like, a run first, you know, uh, right. quarter, yeah, run first, not really a pass-heavy program. And, and, come, and coming in, and I was, like, to this year, you know, we had a new OC. You know, he brought, like, a whole – different type type of offense, you know, it was more geared, it was more, you know, 60-40, 70-30 uh, with passing the the running uh, ratio and, you know, percentage. And and I was like, I was, I never showed it, I never told anybody, but I was just like really happy. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, you were. Like, mm-hmm. I I could give you a long, awkward hug once I found yeah. out about that. I bet you were feeling, I bet you had some stirring. Like, oh, yeah. I love you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it was, I was excited about that. But, I, uh, yeah, like, I had one goal to be, you know, the first quarterback in UMHB history to, to throw for over 3,000 and a rush for 1,000. And, and that was probably one of the main things that I wanted to get done. And, uh we we got that done, you know everything everything that I set out for this year, um, we got it done. Well, as I said, very much congratulations. You you had the year you deserved. It was clear to me, you as individually and you know you meaning that entire team, collectively, had made a very strong commitment to each other, to yourselves. I'm willing to bet you guys had some, as you said, some very tough and very obviously student-directed workouts because of the, you know, it's, it's a different world. I mean, obviously people say football, football, and that's, there's a truth to that, but mm-hmm. it's very different if you're at a place that has, you know, all the facilities you could ever ask for, a mm-hmm. larger co- coaching staff, more paid coaches, obviously. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, the paychecks, I mean, 
your coach is a national champion, but then Dabo Swinney is a national championship, but, you know, only one of those two people could buy a private jet. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a little different. There is some difference. In fact, I'll start with that. If people always ask, well, what's the difference between playing at this level and playing at that level? If you were explaining it to your 12-year-old cousin, right, who didn't know anything about really what's the difference between FBS, SCS, Division II, Division III, NAIA, whatever, how would you explain it to that 12-year-old cousin who's trying to understand the difference, Blake? I'd say going from D1 to D3, I'd say, to be honest with you, the the main thing, the main difference to me was, like, the speed was the same, the speed of players were the same. The everything was the same. It's just some guys are a little bit, a little bit taller, and 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 not necessarily just you know bigger. Like as in like weight wise, they're just a little bit taller. And um, but going down to you know the D three and 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 going through all that, uh, I when I came in when I was transferring, I was just like, I to be honest with you, I didn't have a a respect for D three. I was like, oh, I'm about to. <laughs> I, I, I'm about to, <laughs> you're thinking you're going to be like Space Jam, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I really, I really didn't have, I didn't have a respect for it, like a lower level. Like I didn't have respect for D two, D three. I didn't have a respect. And uh, boy, I tell you what, um, that that changed very quickly. Uh, when I met when I met during fall camp, when I met Tedrick Smith, um, it was uh, he's a baller, man. Yeah, all American. <laughs> Um, defensive player of the year two times in a row and I met him and I met some other guys on that team like Keith and 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 uh just to, uh, some other guys on the defensive side I was just like okay and I was like these guys here <laughs> these guys here should be playing definitely on the D1 level and and yep and then I was like wow this is uh this is really eye-opening and then like whenever I got to know you know everybody uh, on the offensive side as well, there's a lot of guys on there that playing receiver and playing running back. I was just like, what are y'all doing here? And just being able to, you know, and that's whenever you start <laughs> hearing all the different stories of, you know, how guys ended up there. And it's just like, wow, this truly, it's truly crazy. It's truly crazy. But it, it was a great eye-opening experience. So, like, if I was to tell, you know, my 12-year-old cousin, like, you know, just, just it, it's football, college football is college football. And there's comp- the competition is the same on each level. The speed is the same. It's just some guys are a little bit bigger. Yeah, because people assume that, you know, when you get down to D3, that it's guys who like playing football. They're, they're doing it for fun. You know, there's no scholarship. So it's – I think people think it's like a step above club, you know, above intramural. You know, it's like, okay, well, there is some hitting, and you do lift some weights, but – you know, they assume there's not guys running 4-4. They assume there's not guys who can bench press, you know, 500 pounds. And I come by here to tell you, those guys are at D3. Maybe not as many of them, but those guys are there. And they yeah. will they will make you realize, <laughs> if you didn't know already, that yeah. there's some for real, real football players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it happens every single year. Like, you know, uh, you know, I've been blessed, like, with this, this, this season, there's a lot of guys that were seniors and, and – and that I played against, um, you know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to, you know, continue to further, you know, my 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 playing days and uh, to extend it into a career. Um, and you know, there's guys that I play against that I've talked to or I've 
I've contacted and and they're not even getting the look, and I'm just like, are you serious? And it's like, yep. it, it really it really amazes me, and it's, and, it, and it's crazy because these guys are are you know fast and they they have they have the size, they're fast, they have the size, they are strong, and they were the best player on their team, and I'm just like, wow. But it's yeah, it, it, it's a uh, it's definitely there's a there's a there's a uh, some disrespect at B three beginning, but you know, yeah. there's a lot of guys every single year that when they do make it out, like if you look, for instance, like Jarrell Freeman, yeah, uh, yeah, you know that guy is a a beast, and he's been like that. Yeah, he's been like he's been like that since UMHB, and <laughs> right, it's just yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, I I. Uh, wasn't he a Cliff Harris award? I can't be one it. I know he's a finalist for the Cliff Harris. I remember that. I remember his. I think he, yeah, he's he a two-time finalist. He, okay, I remember something correctly. I know he led the league. I know he led uh, the NFL. I think was it two years ago, a year ago, or something like that. When he was with the Colts, he he led the NFL in tackles. Yeah, he tackled everybody. He tackled everything. Yeah. Yes, he had like 183 yeah. tackles. Something crazy. Yeah, <laughs> some, something like that. Some stupid number of tackles. Yeah. Yes, he had a bunch of tackles. But like, like even yeah. you know, even if you look at like Cecil Short, Pierre Garcon, yep. uh, you know, there's guys like that, man. There's a lot. Mountain Union's put a few guys in the league. Obviously, Ali Marpet most recently. The okay. and they and they and frankly, and you know, you and I both know this. There could be twice as many if these guys would just get the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to like the All Star games. We're going to talk about like that because that's one of those things, and we're going to you know, that I won't go on a long rant, but. Even there, there's a lot of – I feel like these three guys, if they got invited more to the Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine, they'd be this aha moment. Oh, wow, who's this kid? You know, <laughs> I think that would happen much more often than it does. So I'm going to hop over to Garrett. Um, when did you first start to hear from some of the postseason all-star uh, game opportunities, and, and how did you navigate that? Because uh, that could be an interesting question of, of where to go and what to do. Yeah, well, uh, so I, you know, towards the end of the year, you started. I started getting invites and stuff. Um, I was actually committed to go to the College Gridiron Showcase (CGS) down in Texas. Yep. Um, and I was, you know, I was waiting for hopefully an East-West Shrine or NFLPA, um, and I never got that. And it wouldn't have mattered anyways because uh, I got injured in our last game and wasn't able to do anything. But right. Um, so I was, you know, obviously you want to go to one of the big three, the Senior Bowl, East-West, or NFLPA, um, and I was waiting for that. You know, obviously I think um, if I was healthy, I would have been able to, to go to one of those, and I, that would have been really, really big for me to show. Um, you know, the level of competition is not a reason to, um, you know, not look at look at me as a prospect. Uh, but, um, yeah, so they start reaching out, you know, kind of midway through the season to the end of the season. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of those games. Uh, and so I didn't really know about that, all that stuff. And, you know, I was talking to um, my my agent now about them. Um, and he kind of helped me decide which one to accept uh, at the end of the year before I got hurt. Um, right. But, yeah, obviously wasn't able to participate in those. Um but yeah, it was very interesting. That was that was that is one thing I really wish I could have done, um, just to just go, you know, compete one more time at, right. at the at the college level, and you know, 
size everyone up, you know, get, see see where you're at. Um, you know, I always love doing stuff like that, and and so I was pretty disappointed that I couldn't couldn't uh, participate in that. Yeah, it's it it can be a really great experience, even beyond the getting scouted. There's sometimes coaching that you receive that's different from coaching you've had in the past. It's a very compressed uh, <laughs> kind of thing because you really have about three and a half or so days of you know quote unquote mastering you know the system. Uh, yeah. But you do get a chance to see a, a very stripped down version of a pro offense. You get a chance to get some professional coaching. I, I was talking to Tony Softly about you, uh, who's one of the guys, one of the people who runs the NFLPA game. He was certainly aware of you. And then, as you said, obviously the, the injury prevented you from being able to pursue that. But I would have loved to have seen you at, at NFLPA or, or, you know, Shrine was a little bit of a longer shot, though I think you, you certainly could have had a shot there. But I feel strongly that you might have had a, a really good chance at NFLPA. Same same question for you, Blake. Tell me about when you first started to hear about uh, some opportunities maybe to play in the postseason as a um, in an All Star game, and how did you navigate those possibilities? Uh, yeah, um, you know, I started hearing about those getting invites and stuff like that during the season. You know, they start sending invites for that towards like the end of the season, second half, and um, you know, I really didn't, I I really didn't pay any attention <laughs> to like to any of them. I was too worried about you know, playoffs. Yeah, those things on your mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I had it. a lot of other things on my mind. I was just like, I'm just gonna put these in my locker and I'll I'll view them after the season and after you know we get done, we need to get done. And uh, so like you know after the season, after the national championship game, um, after a week of you know the, uh, coming back and, and 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 doing all the celebration ceremonies and all that kind of stuff, I uh, finally got to sit down and start you know thinking about what I want to do and all that kind of stuff and how I want to pursue, you know, football as a career. And, you know, I went out and, you know, started meeting with agents and all that kind of stuff and, you know, getting an agent. And then uh, started, like, then that's when I started talking to him about all the different games that I was getting invited to. And I had made it clear that I didn't want to go to any game that was, like, any all-star game that wasn't, known for getting guys some like good exposure and and helping guys out and uh so you know there was a, there was a bunch of bunch of ones that I that you know I had him go research out or that he already knew about he was like yeah cuz you know there's a lot of them nowadays that yep you know, I'm not going to say any names but some of them are money grabbers you know and yes. uh, I I'm not going to say and, any names either but yes they there are yeah. and uh and you know it's just I'm I'm very I'm a very uh, you know, my my major in, is is marketing and business, and and so like I know the business part of everything. You know, I I, I understand that people they want to make money, and uh, and and you know some people come out and and I just you know it it can be real. It's a real shady. It's a real shady business sometimes. But and I was like, yeah, that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm. A, that's not what I'm looking for. So, but yeah, like uh, College Gridiron Showcase, that was one that I wanted to uh, look at, and then. The NFLPA, uh, we were trying to get in that one, and then uh, I think that I think that was it. I think we I think the College Gridiron Showcase, I we had gotten in contact with them late, and they also and also at this time I wasn't sure if I was going to be if I was going to be presenting myself as a quarterback or a receiver or athlete. So right, I was also and that's the other question. 
yeah, that leads me to exactly my next question about that. When people talk to you about playing slot receiver or playing, you know, uh, nickelback or playing basically any other person other than quarterback, how do you answer those questions and what's your approach to that? I I tell, like, you know, when a scout comes to me and asks me, you know, how do you feel about playing slot, how do you feel about playing, you know, other positions rather than, like, other than quarterback, I sit there and I say, I love it, you know, I, I embrace it. Um, I am a I'm a football player. I play football. Uh, football is something that I love. Football is something that I will always love. And 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 for things that you love, you have to sacrifice a little bit. And <laughs> you know, and 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 also like learning learning new positions of the game. Like learning a new like since I've been doing like my training and combine prep and pre draft prep, all that kind of stuff. I've been learning like receiver and and it just has brought like a new type of excitement to the game. Like it's just like a whole new, I don't know how to explain, like experience. And I've loved it. And, uh, you know, I've just told every single scout that I'm, I'm going to do whatever the coach asked me to do. I'm, I'm going to do whatever y'all think is the best interest of the team. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to sit down and learn it. And I'm going to, 110, 110% of my ability is going to be put forth towards that position and helping the team be successful. Yeah, so obviously people always bring up the the Heinz Ward examples and the Julian Edelmans and the Antoine Randall L. But I don't think people realize how hard a transition is how hard a transition that is to make. It is not easy. I mean you, you have having played quarterback, you have a great grasp of what everything everybody's doing on the offense. So the middle side isn't a great challenge, but or, well, it's a different challenge, but it's not one that should be hard for a guy who's yeah. played quarterback. But, man, I mean, I remember a great Mac Braxton Miller quote. He said, man, why don't you just run a lot? <laughs> yeah, yep, um, yep, that's, <laughs> that's one thing, man. Running routes and, and, like, every single play, it's a lot of running. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Of, but, you know, it helps. <laughs> it really helps out a lot. Uh, like, my training, like, I've been training hard and conditioning like that, like, for a long, 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 long time, and and uh, so it, it, I've been. It's kind of like I've been already ready for it, and but I still get winded sometimes. I'm just like, man, this is <laughs> it's like running a gasher like every single play. But it's it, 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 exactly uh, right. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's a game, a game might be six, might be playing like having sixty gassers run in a three and a half hour yeah. period. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's it's crazy, man. But it it's. It's all worth it, you know. Uh, it, you know, receiver definitely coming from quarterback to receiver. I have to say, you know, quarterback is one of the most uh, like complex positions. Like it's the hardest position, I, I believe, in, in football. And it's it the hardest position in sports. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like yeah. it anyway. Though point guards, nothing, no, nowhere near the complexity. I mean, there's yeah. no other sport you can think of where you have as many different things to keep in your head as, as a college or, or NFL or even high school quarterback. Exactly, I mean, exactly. the three most difficult mental positions in, foot, in in sports. All sports are, okay, third most difficult high school quarterback, second most difficult is college quarterback, and the most yeah. difficult is NFL quarterback. Those are the most difficult mental positions in all of sports. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, and I feel like being able, you know, having that experience and having that knowledge of, you know, just playing that position – and uh, you know, if I need to make that transition to, to receiver, 
it's uh, it, it's it's to my benefit, and you know, because I know what a quarterback is expecting. I know the mindset of a quarterback, and that helps out a lot. Uh, and I think another thing that's also helped out with like this transition um, is you know just my athletic ability, being able to to run like a receiver and and you know get out of breaks and and my quickness and stuff. And also one thing that I have realized that a lot of scouts have told me is that I am I am a physical like they they see that I'm a physical guy. And which a lot of receivers, you know, they, they can run pretty routes, they can do all the 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 routes and stuff, but when it comes to having to throw a block downfield to their running back or having to block for another receiver, it's it's not happening. <laughs> and you know and uh, yeah, I really I really feel like and I really feel like, you know, my physicality and, and it's something that a lot of the scouts are uh, that like like. And if I had to say, if I had to pick a receiver that I would want to play like or mimic my game off after, I'm I'm probably gonna say Edelman because that guy there is a that <laughs> man. And him or like like Steve Smith because Steve Smith is a dog. Huh. He, huh. <laughs> you mean the undefeated uh, training uh, camp? You know, uh, light heavyweight champion of NFL football. That yeah, dude I'm not gonna has say, defeated I'm not all covers. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna throw any punches at anyone. But I, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be fighting or anything like that. But I'll talk about. I'll talk about his, the way he goes out there and he he just you know, you know when he's asked to block somebody and go downfield and hit somebody, you know he's gonna he does it and he he's coming with all five nine. What is it? Two, two 158 ish, whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's coming with all of it. And, you know, that's something yeah. I. Yeah. The physicality is. Woo, that, that is. Well, that, well, that's, 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 it's, yeah. it's funny because, you know, I scouted him coming out of, out of Utah, and he, many people didn't consider him the best wide receiver on his team. And then in junior college, believe it or not, he wasn't considered the best wide receiver on his team. In fact, he was considered to be the third best. He went to Santa Monica Junior College. And people said he was the third best wide receiver prospect at Santa Monica Junior College. Now, in fairness, one of his teammates was a guy you may know as Chad Oshosinka. So that might have yeah. you know, been one of the things. And then the other guy, but, but Chad was the second best. The guy that, ended up, that was considered to be the first, the best receiver on that team ended up not even playing after Juco. He ended up, I think he became a postal worker or something. Got married, settled down, you know, has a nice family. He didn't play football oh. after after his two years at, at uh, Santa Monica, but so it was the second and third best receiver on that team that went on to have long NFL careers. So yeah. it's an odd way that things work out. That's crazy. But yeah. but yeah, so he was under you know once again size and whatever else he was always considered to this to that. So he's underrated coming out of junior college, goes to Oregon State. I mean Oregon State goes to Utah. Sorry, he didn't get to go to Oregon. He thought he originally well. I mean, not to need all this, know all this, but originally he thought that he and Chad were going to be a package deal going to Oregon State. And then Oregon State at the last minute was like, eh, we like this Hushman Zada kid better. Um, so, hey. so yeah. <laughs> so, believe it or not, that scholarship, that last wide receiver scholarship that went to Hushman Zada almost went to Steve Smith. Fun fact. So, then Steve Smith is the man without a country for a moment or, you know, without a, and then he gets an offer from, or he actually he may have had an offer from Utah before he was holding out originally for Oregon State. And then he, mm-hmm. he goes to Utah and Utah thought he was going to be mostly a punt and kickoff guy. 
And as a freshman, that's what he was. He didn't play much receiver initially. He was, he was already one of the nation's leading punt return guys um, from the moment he hit. Boom. Uh, and then Chris Russell was, believe it or not, was their number one receiver at the time. And, and Chris Russell was a guy that some people thought was better than Steve Smith. And I remember telling people, it's like, well, I know he's taller, but I don't know if he's taller. Um, yeah. Having this conversation with people, and, you know, people said, well, you know, Steve Smith, he's a nice little receiver, but he just game doesn't translate. He'll be a punt return kickoff guy in the NFL. Which is what people said about him coming out of high school. Which is what people said about him coming out of junior college. So he's had people tell him he can't for a long, 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 long time. And so that's part of why he was always so ready to, you know, get into it, I guess you might say, with people. Because he's always had that chip. I mean, chip doesn't say it. He's had a battleship, not a chip on his shoulder from, I don't know, eight, whatever age it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you've got some of that, but without the need to put your hands on people is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, this past year, or like this past couple of years when he was with the Ravens, I, I, I just, I, man, that, that dude there was, <laughs> I don't know how many games he got thrown out of, but that guy, that guy there was not having it, not having it. Well, here's the thing about Steve Smith. That last part of his career was basically a revenge tour. Yeah. Um, anybody who ever said something bad about Steve Smith, anybody who ever, whatever, anybody who disrespected him in any way, Steve knew, I'm about to retire. I'm just yeah. going to be checking off names on my list this last mm-hmm. year. You could all get some of this. Yeah, he wasn't having it. That that man was on <laughs> He was coming at people's heads left and right. I was just like, Steve, <laughs> But that's how he had to survive, man. He felt like people disrespected him. They didn't believe in him. And, whew, well, he showed them. So, yeah, gentlemen, both. Uh, <laughs> I want to say much of my appreciation having you both on and fighting through a few little technical issues. Thank you so much for your patience. I'm going to ask you my offense, both of you. Um, I'll, I'll jump over to you for a moment, Garrett. So you played with and against some pretty darn good players in your football career. Take me through the guys who most impressed you, the guys you thought were the best, uh, either teammates or opponents that you faced so far in your football career. Um, well, I'd say the, the best player I've ever played against was in high school, uh, Shane Ray, played in our oh, conference. he'll do. <laughs> um, hmm. and he's, yeah, he's all right. Uh, he, uh, he, he actually, my first start in high school, um, we played against, this is me at 160 pounds. We played against oh, Fisher Age, where Shane Ray went. Oh, um, and he was a senior. And oh. I, think he sacked, I think he sacked me seven times. Oh God! Uh, they beat us. I, I like forty. I don't know, like forty-eight to zero. I think it was. Um, oh God! We it was yeah, bad experience. But uh, <laughs> you know, and then at the college level, um, some guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball that I played against that, that were really good players. Mike Jordan, who plays for the Rams now. Yes, um, very familiar with Mike Jordan. He's a he's a great player. Uh, um, definitely a guy that you know. You you, you definitely got to watch a little extra film on and stuff like that. Uh, um, yeah, I think he's a future starter. I think he's a, maybe a year or less away from being an NFL starter. Oh yeah, he's a great player, great athlete. Um, Connor Harris for Lindenwood. Um, 
played in the, uh, the Senior Bowl this year. Yep. Um, Speaking of passing machines. Yeah. He, not only um, – he's a great player. I was actually with him yesterday at the Chiefs local day, which was pretty cool. Um, he's a great kid. He's 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 going to definitely uh, find his way onto an NFL team, I think. He's um, one of the better players, harder working guys I've been around and seen. Uh, and then, you know, Northwest Missouri had some, some D linemen that uh, were definitely game changers. Uh, oh, God, yeah. Colin Bevins and that bunch, yeah. Bevins and, and, and Rattle and those guys. So, you know, I've got to play against a lot of really high, you know, NFL-level competition, which is cool. You know, we played against Brandon Williams in college. Um, I wasn't the starter, but at Missouri Southern, he's now the highest-paid D lineman in the NFL. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, not where you start, where you finish. Right, yeah. Definitely not, not a lack of uh, high-level competition in the MIAA, which has been really cool, you know. You get to see guys peer to peer. Is in the NFL now. Uh, was was a good player that we we played against. Um, really long corner. Uh, yes. A lot of guys that you know you get you see make that transition. Um, John Brown. Obviously, he played receiver, so um, wasn't really yeah. going head to head. That guy's uh, man. His acceleration is. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> definitely been, uh, you know, the MIAA has had their fair share of, of really successful uh, NFL players, and, you know, obviously I want to be the next next one on that list. Um, but, yeah, that, that helps playing against guys like that, I think, uh, seeing their, their journey and uh, um, seeing how they've been successful and, you know, um, that I can do the same thing. Okay, great. Same question, Blake. Obviously, you have played against some pretty good guys at various stops in your collegiate and, I guess, even high school career. And tell me about some of the best guys, even in all-star competitions, any place where you've seen guys that really caught your eye. Oh, man. Uh, I'd say, you know, you know since I, I, in high school, in high school, I'd probably say the best the player that I played against was I probably say man I know it was Pearland oh, I forgot his name uh, he 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 played at Baylor he was a linebacker for Pearland uh, um is that uh uh not Harper what was Bryce uh what was it? Uh, not Harper uh Bryce <laughs> baseball Bryce um oh my God uh I can't really laugh uh Hager was that Hager time. you're talking about yeah, his last name is kind of hard. It's kind of hard to pronounce. But no, he he went he went to Baylor. I know he went to Baylor, and then uh, but he he was a dog. That man there was he was a man amongst boys. I remember that. Uh, uh, I remember he hit he hit he hit me one time, and I was like, dang, okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then in college, I'd say the to be honest with you. Man, the best player like I've like played against in 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 college, like defensive wise, is I'm having to go with Tedrick. I'm having to go with Tedrick. Like there's like there's nobody else that I've played against that has like has that man like ability. Like especially at him being at the end. Um, God, really, you know, being able to go against him in practice every single day. 
and then, you know, our scrimmages and stuff like that, that really prepares like, the whole offensive line. <laughs> it prepares me. It prepares everybody on our offense just, you know, to play other – like, you know, to play guys that, you know, are as talented as, as Tedrick and, and, and man, not that guy. Woo, that guy's a monster. I'm telling you. <laughs> and we were talking about – we will uh, – obviously, you guys got a chance in both of you in sort of a pro day experience recently. I'll start with you and then I'll jump back to, to Garrett. How did your pro day go? Did you, do you feel like you did the things you wanted to do? And, and if you have any of your numbers, I'd love to, to have those as well. But tell me about your pro day experience. When did you first hear you're going to get a chance to compete at the pro day? And, and like I said, lay out the day, how it, how it played out. Uh, yeah. Uh, pro day, pro day at Baylor, man, it was, it was awesome. You know, we got there uh, around like 1030 um, and you know the Baylor, the Baylor players were running. They they had us in separate groups. They had the Baylor players go first, and then like everybody else that was invited, um, go second in the second group. But uh, which was like eight of us. And there was like fifteen Baylor players and eight of the guys in the second group. But um, you know we got there, watched the end of their stuff, and then you know we went into their athletic um, like the field house where all the weight and stuff is. Got height weight. Um, vertical, broad, and bench, and then we we headed over there to uh, to back to the indoor facility, and then forty and all the 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 shuttle and air drill and um, so yeah shuttle we did the the six yard shuttle and then we went straight into like position stuff and they had me they had me doing receiver stuff and. Uh, it was really cool because I was like the only it was me and this running back. It was the only one that was doing like the receiver stuff. They really, they I made some really good catches and uh, some really difficult catches. Uh, that and I knew they were difficult and I knew that the scouts liked it because whenever I made the catch, all you could hear was oh whoa, and you know like the little all the little all sound. <laughs> and uh, but no, yeah, it was. It was a great experience, you know. After I got to talk to a bunch of scouts, you know, they all asked me for like my cell phone number, what what are my draft day plans, what are what's my draft day cell phone number, and all this kind of stuff, and asked me about you know the national championship game, um, just getting to talk to me and 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 know a little bit more about me and, and stuff like that. And I took I know I took a Wonderlic test for uh, the Cowboys. They wanted me to take a Wonderlic test. And uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome, man. It was a great experience. Uh, I feel like you know I did really good going out there. Um, I don't know what my forty is yet. Uh, when I'm actually gonna get that today. Um, okay, excellent. Well, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna get a follow up email from me. So if you will let me know that in that email response, uh, I will put that into the profile I'm building. How about any of your other numbers like vertical? I don't know if you benched or not. I know. I know. Um, all I know is what we did in the locker room. I don't know any of the running stuff, like the shuttle. Okay. Thing, but I, but Got I it. My, so, what'd you get on the stuff that you did? You did get the numbers from. I was uh, I, my high weight. I I was five uh, eleven. They had like a five whatever. I was barely five eleven, which is still I got five eleven. I'm happy with that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my weight was one ninety. Uh, I had did a ten four broad. I had a 36 and a half vertical. I did a 16 on on bench. And 
not bad for a former quarterback. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. And uh, that's uh, yeah, that's all. That's all I know about uh, right now. That's fine. Yes, sir. That's fine. That's that's, that's solid. And then obviously, Garrett, you. I don't know how much you got to do because I know that you're. Are you? Well, I guess we'll start with your health. Are you? Where are you in terms of your your recovery and your rehabilitation, Garrett? So I had uh, yeah ACL reconstruction surgery done um, in December. So I'm I'm a little over three months out. Um, so I'm not doing a lot yet uh, with running and jumping wise. Right. But um, that I was, was yes, yeah, so I imagine you should do yeah. Yeah. I was able to have like an individual pro day where I threw, um, I think on the script, I threw 43 passes and uh, just normal, no rollouts, nothing like that, but just, you know, just to show teams, my knee is getting healthy. Um, my progress is it's doing great. Um, I'm really happy with where I'm, where I'm at and so are the doctors. Um, it's just kind of a long process, you know, um, but uh, yeah, the knees feels great. Um, I threw really well. I was really happy with how I threw at, at, at the pro day and got some really good feedback from it. So, um, but yeah, it's pretty frustrating, um, especially I, I kind of pride myself on, on, on you know, uh, the, that testing out stuff. I think I would have been able to, you know, the quarterbacks this year and the combine and stuff, the test that I would have I had, I think I would have had the best numbers um, on every single really, so you were yeah. right there with like Trent. Uh, was, uh, Trent I mean, uh, oh my gosh, um, what's Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by way of you know, my forty. Oh, wow. My forty. My forty would have been right in there. Uh, you know, I was, uh, at school before uh, in the off season, I've, I've broad jumped ten uh, five. You know, um, thirty six inch vert. Uh, I've, I've done all that stuff in the past, and you know, if I would have been healthy and been able to train. Specifically wow. for this, I think uh, definitely would have been been able to turn some heads with that. But you know, that that's okay. That's just would have been another bonus, really. Obviously, the most important part for me is throwing the ball and, and you know, right. and being being a competent quarterback. Not, but the athletic part's just a bonus. So, um, and, and I'm gonna get I'll get back to that point. It's just a matter of time. And now, did you end up losing some weight? I know a lot of guys do once they they end up having a knee done. Where where are you in terms of your current height and weight? Yeah. So. Um, I did. I lost. I lost weight for sure. Uh, I was uh, right now. I'm six two, two hundred twelve pounds, which not terrible, but I definitely want to be up closer to that two twenty range, which I was preseason last year. Um, you know, I always right. lose a little weight during the season, but yeah. So I weighed in at uh, two twelve, um, right at six two. Uh, so you know, I'm. That's the weight will come. The the speed and all that stuff's gonna come back. Just get, you know. Like I said, a matter of time, just getting work, hitting that rehab really hard. Right. Yeah, and I know that you are a worker. I mean, I know when I've asked around, <laughs> there's no doubt about your, your work ethic. Both you guys are guys that yeah. everybody knows that, you know, won't be at work. Yeah, that's so uh, my My head coach, Coach Sabota, uh, the only thing he was scared about in my knee recovery was, you know, pushing too hard and hurting it again yep. he kept saying he kept saying you know moderation is not your 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 best quality so you got to take uh-huh. it easy be be smart with that and you know so it's, it was hard for me but yeah it's something i kind of had to do especially those first like eight and nine weeks um but now i get to you know work a little harder it's still good right but yeah you're you're 
they're like a helpless baby at first. It's, it's very frustrating for talking about athletic, active, athletic people, and they say, okay, we need you to, you know, put no weight on this very important part of your body for the next few weeks, and you're thinking, well, how about a little weight? How about I take yeah. some rest and such? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you start trying to make little bargains, and then, you know, luckily – You've got medical professionals around to shut down your little that little voice in your head, hopefully. But I'm glad to hear that you're recovering well. Um, I the timing is good because this is, you know, this you need obviously to be on the upswing health wise right around this time of year. I'll stick with you right. for the moment, Garrett, and and I'll ask my final question. So I am going to once again take you a few years into the future. Now, more and more teams are just carrying two quarterbacks. And right. unfortunately, right, which unfortunately means that this, there's even fewer opportunities. I mean, when I first started following this game, of course, there are a couple fewer franchises. I almost remember before they added the last few franchises and went up to a 16-game season. I, when I first started watching football, it was a 14-game season in the NFL. But almost every team carried three quarterbacks. And usually it would break down this way. Our starter, an old, grizzled guy who's been through it on a few different teams and almost like a coach, practically, you know, a guy who's like 34-ish, um, you know, and just like I said, been around the block up several times, our starter, and then a young kid, you know, a kid who's you know a rookie or a second-year guy who's still kind of figuring it out and might be a guy that we're keeping an eye on for, for the future. That was how almost every quarterback room was from, heck, the late 1940s, really. Um, you know, when, the, when we went to single, you know, guys not playing both ways, basically. Uh, yeah. which started, you know, late 40s, early 50s. From that point until less than 20 years ago, uh, almost every team carried three quarterbacks, and usually the room broke down that way. Old guy, starter, young guy. And now, unfortunately, well, unfortunately for, for anyone that's going to play quarterback, more and more teams are trying to find a way around carrying three quarterbacks. They'll have a guy like Joe Webb or Blake on the roster with like, well, in a desperate emergency, this guy could play yeah. quarterback anyway, right? right? So, right, if it got right. bad enough, we had to. I mean, you, you you don't want to be like playing your third quarterback anyway, so why not have our third quarter, third quarterback be our punter? Like for the Rams, it's the emergency guy, Johnny Hecker, or whoever. But somebody plays sure. the quarterback somewhere, right? So more and more sure. teams are doing that to, quote-unquote, save a roster spot. And so now it's even harder. Not that you need more challenges, but it's even harder to be that developmental, young, non-starting quarterback who runs the scout team and is trying to figure out how to do this thing. So now about half the teams in the league just carry two. For, you know, like I said, being able to – now they can carry that extra offensive lineman, that extra linebacker, whatever it is they wanted to carry instead. So now it's even – I mean, the fight, which is always a fight anyway, but it's an even harder fight for that, you know, lower division quarterback who's an undrafted free agent or got drafted late. So you need to come in super prepared, obviously, obviously, mentally and physically. Uh, you need to be incredibly resilient because you're probably going to get cut a couple of times. Now, the good news, if you're looking for good news, is that the one thing I think has gotten better is that teams seem to do a better job of sort of keeping track of guys after they cut them. So that very often they, you may get cut and picked up and cut and picked up by the same team two or three times in a season. It's a yo-yo thing that's maddening, but they like a guy. If you show them you can learn their system, but they couldn't keep you because, you know, we lost a guard, we have to pick another guard. I mean, you know, that 
being on the bottom four or five guys of the roster, that 48, you know, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, it's a maddening existence. Um, or a practice squad, you know. So you're one of those guys that might be on a practice squad for one team and then another team adds you and they add you, they have to put you on their 53, but then they lose their long snapper. Now we've got to pick a long snapper, we've got to cut you, right? So it's that at first. And if you're mentally strong enough and you don't mind, you know, renting um, and maybe even crashing on someone's couch at some point in your career while you try to figure out where you're going to live when your new team adds you and all that good stuff, if you're willing to go through that for a few years, I think you're going to finally find yourself in a situation where some quarterback coach, some Sean Payton, some somebody, you know, recognizes, oh, this guy's not just a camp arm. This guy's a guy. We, we can do something with him. And I think that it might take two – I'm not lying. It might take two, three, it might take four years before somebody sees what I see and what some other people see and say, no, no, no. We're not just bringing this guy in with, you know, those other guys to, you know, say wear and tear on our, our, our one and two quarterback during, you know, during camp and mini camps and stuff like that. No, this guy, is, we're going to keep this guy. We may have to make some other moves, <laughs> other bots. I think we have something here. And when that happens, well, two things. One is you're going to finally, you know, be able to breathe, you know, after all those, because, you know, it's tough uh, because you're, if you are like like Blake and you are playing a position where you keep seven or eight guys, I mean, still it's not easy. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you might keep well not seven or eight, but you might keep six. Some teams might keep six receivers. Some teams might keep a few teams. You might carry seven, especially if they can do special teams. A few teams will carry seven receivers, but obviously receivers, you know, <laughs> uh, four through seven are special teams guys really who are listed as receivers. Um, and then most, a lot of teams carry six. Most teams carry six. And once again, guys four, five, and six are primarily special teams guys who, you know, once again, can play receiver. With quarterbacks, since you don't do that much special teams value, uh, except as a holder, I guess, there's, there's not much reason to carry, for some teams, not much reason to carry more quarterbacks than you absolutely have to. So you can't be, you know, a team's fifth quarterback or fourth quarterback or you know, nowadays, that's not even third quarterback. But here's the good news. When you get to that spot where somebody sees who you are and recognizes, oh, oh, wait, we've got something here. Like, this this is something. We've got something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to be one of those guys that once you get into that situation where somebody is willing to make you a number two as opposed to, a like I said, see you as a camp arm, you're going to keep growing and growing. And you're going to someday, you know, threaten some – somebody for a starting job someday. It may take a while. You may want to study the lives of guys like Rich Gannon and, and Brad Johnson, um, those guys who were sort of seen as backups and fringe guys who just kept at it till somebody saw something in them that somebody else didn't see. And, of course, in the case of both Brad Johnson and Rich Gannon, that person was John Gruden, uh, who in each case yeah. saw this guy that everybody else said was a career backup, and he went to a Super Bowl with one and won a Super Bowl with the other, and in fact, crazily enough, beat the other guy. And like I said, it's funny how that plays out, right? He develops Gannon in Oakland, who had been seen as a backup and finally got a chance to start when Joe Montana hung it up in Kansas City. But still, the the, the Chiefs didn't really embrace him. Um, mm-hmm. Elvis Gerbach was the guy they – because he looked more like what you think of, you know, 6'5", 234 pounds, Gannon for an arm. <laughs> While Gannon's, you know, generously lifted at 6'2", 
probably right around your weight. He was not a big guy. You know, he probably was about 213, 214 pounds, but came from a wing tee offense uh, at Delaware under Tommy Raymond. The Patriots, the team that drafted him, tried to move him to either defensive back or wide receiver. And, you know, he made it clear that he wanted to move on from there, was a backup with Washington. And like I said, was brought in to be a backup with the Chiefs. And then eventually became a starter, but they just didn't buy into him for whatever reason. And when he made his way to Oakland as a free agent, you know, he and John Gruden, you know, had a meeting of the minds and great things happened. And then, like I said, a team that might have well been a Super Bowl team, and then they made they ran into Gruden, who had run a foul of Al Davis, who now ends up with, you know, the Buccaneers, and they meet that guy who knows their offense better than anybody in the play. Like that's a real disadvantage. Is the guy who basically puts your offense together is now coaching the team you're about to face. Right. And Bill Callahan, you know, Bill Callahan didn't make any Oh, here's the other fun fact. So when they got ready to play the Raiders, the guy who was the scout team quarterback for Super Bowl prep week was Gruden himself. Hmm. If you if he didn't even you may be able to find this on YouTube, but Gruden himself was the scout team quarterback when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played the Raiders in the Super Bowl. And he imitated uh, – I mean, he's obviously smaller than, than Gannon, but he – because he knows Gannon so well. He imitated Gannon. He knew what Gannon likes and what he doesn't like and all his little idiosyncrasies. And so he basically became Rich Gannon uh, for their press week. It was, it was fascinating seeing John Gruden. Of course, Gruden was young, younger then. I mean, this was, he was like 39, 40. So he was pretty young at the time, a very NFL coach. And so he was able to do – I mean, he, he had a decent arm. He's just short. Um, you know, pretty good little quarterback from Dayton. I'm old enough to remember Gruden as a college football player, but um, pretty good little quarterback from Dayton. Unfortunately, too small. His brother, who was bigger, uh, was a very good quarterback at Louisville and had, at one point, I think, owned a couple of records in the Arena League until they've been, they've been broken now um, by um, Garcia's, Aaron Garcia, Jeff Garcia's little brother. Now pretty much owns the Arena League record, but uh, at the time, uh, like I said, Gruden was coaching, you know, and, and Bill Callahan, some people say it was like a conspiracy. I don't believe Callahan conspired to lose the Super Bowl. I just, I, I don't care how tight he and Gruden were there. I, I no, he didn't, he just wasn't able to make enough changes from what they had done before on offense. Plus it works so well. It was such a good offense. You don't want to junk it, I guess, and try to, you know, start over and build a new offense. But unfortunately, they kept so many of the audibles and so many of the real offense, you know, the main offense, the same, that Gruden was able to basically hand their offense probably 80% of it intact to his defense, which is already great defense. I mean, you know, a defense that already has John Lynch and Ronde right. Barber and Warren Sapp and Simeon Rice and Chidi Ahanadu yeah. and Derek Bro- I mean, they didn't need any help, really. It was one of the great defenses of the last 50 years. But now you say, well, when we do this, this means that. And here's what he likes to throw on third date. And here's, you know, our, their top 10 run plays in this situation. Here's their top. Th-. So it was, you know, even without unfair advantages, I think they might have won that Super Bowl. But having, you know, the guy who was the designer of the other team's office as your head coach, a huge advantage. Uh, but all that to say, somebody will be your John Gruden. That was all that to say. It may take you a while to find that guy. It might take six or seven years like it did with, with Gannon or 
I think it took darn near 10 years for Brad Johnson for somebody to say, you are a starting quarterback. You're not backing anybody up. You may not be the biggest or the strongest or the fastest, but I trust you. And that's what the thing was with Gruden. He trusted those men. He trusted Gannon, who, you know, was it an athletic quarterback but didn't have a big arm. And then in Brad Johnson, you had a guy who didn't have a big arm and wasn't really athletic. You know, he was, he was just a guy who really understood how to play the game without having all the great physical gifts. And like I said, the first person who said to him, you know, you're a starter, you're the guy. You, you have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to worry. You're, 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 my, you're my guy. And, of course, he had a great, great defense that helped. But he went out and, you know, I mean, he's got a ring. You can't take that from him. You can't say, yeah, but. He's a Super Bowl quarterback. There's no, there's no asterisk just because, you know, he's a guy that didn't start for more than a couple of years in his entire career and, you know, played on a team that was really dominated by one of the great defenses. He still had to do what he had to do. He still made the plays he had to make. And I think somebody will see a lot in you, and you have the advantage of actually being a really good athlete and having a better arm. Right. And then obviously for, for, for the, the future, and I know you've probably heard this before, just be patient because it's going to be, I mean, you are going to get kicked a few times. This is going to be, there'll be some disappointment before you, it'll be dark before the dawn. I'm sure you've been told this many, many times before. But if you're willing to stick this thing out and not, you know, go sell insurance or coach high school football, <laughs> which, trust me, I understand. I mean, there's guys who have the talent, but they just couldn't wait long enough because, you know, this sucks. This spending five years, you know, spending time in Canada, spending time playing arena. But we're about to put a guy in the Hall of Fame who had one of the longest, hardest, strangest roads to Canton ever in Kurt Warner, who got cut a few times, had a few tryouts, you know, everyone knows the story of him stocking at the Hy-Vee overnight and all that good stuff. I mean, he got, he, he wasn't even playing Arena 1. He was playing AF2, Arena League 2. He was playing basically the second level of arena football, right? Not even the leader one. He had to work his way up to the, people talk about the, the Barnstormers. He had to work his way up to the Barnstormers. He was playing, you know, when the high drug drugstore drug stock days, he wasn't even playing arena one. He was playing AF2 and about to give up. He seriously, he'd been given a couple offers to come coach, and he was seriously considering it. And, you know, once again, he's a very religious guy. He prayed, and he felt like God was telling him, you know, there's more for you. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with being a high school coach. There's anything wrong with being a graduate assistant back at your old school, which are two things you're considering. But there's more for you. Like, I have more for you, Kurt. You know, just hold on a little longer. And, you know, a little longer was like another two and a half years, as it turned out. But eventually, he did get there. After tearing it up uh, in, in getting up the call to go up to the Barnstormers, tearing it up in Arena League One, and getting an opportunity to go play overseas in NFL Europe, which sadly we don't have anymore. And I once again, I won't go on a mini rant about that, but we really do need a developmental program, a developmental system uh, to make that bridge between college and pro. And I've been saying it forever, but whatever. Hopefully, at some point, somebody will revive, you know, one of the other developmental leagues or they'll bring back something like NFL Europe. But maybe they'll do it in Mexico, which I've always wondered why. They're trying to – they really want to get into the Mexican market. Why? Well, whatever. I'll, I'll save that rant for another time. The point is you finally get your chance, Garrett. It takes a while. You get knocked around, shipped around, cut, picked up, all that good stuff, like a yo-yo. But that day finally comes, and you get that chance, and you get to run out of the tunnel. And knowing that you have a home in the NFL, which 1,696 people get to say, that's it. 
That's it. Out of all the hundreds of thousands of guys that play college football, 1,696 get you one out of that tunnel wearing an NFL uniform. That's it. And they don't empty out the league each year and start over with a new group. No, it's most of those guys, 88 or so percent of those guys each year are holdovers from the year before. So really, the number of jobs available aren't 1,696. The number of jobs available is probably about 208, <laughs> you know, something like that. Because most teams cut, you know, they get rid of four or five guys from the year before. And it's only 32 teams. That's not a lot. So I wish you both the best. It's, I'm sure you've heard this before, but the numbers, the numbers don't like you. The odds are not your friend. The odds are not your friend. So you'll need a strong mental makeup and, and obviously a strong support system, but God bless both. God bless both of you. But when you do get that chance, and you do finally go out on that field. And maybe it's maybe but due to injury, Garrett. Maybe it's due to who knows what it's due to. But you get a chance to finally start an NFL game. And, yeah, your mouth is dry and your palms are sweaty and your heart's pounding and all that good stuff. And, but something kicks in and you just play, right? After all that goes away, you remember game plan. Here's the guys we think we can pick on. Here's the situations we think we can take advantage of. Here's the the things, the communications issues we can cause if we do this and do that and do this and make some plays. And it goes back to being football like you've been playing since you were a little kid. And then you come off that field and it goes by like a sh- like a blink, right? It's all this stuff happening at the same time, but it goes like a blink. You're in the locker room and you did it. You started an NFL game at quarterback. And <laughs> you can't, like you, you're checking, like you're almost like checking, like touching yourself to make sure that it happened, like it happened. I did this, right? I'm not, this is not a dream. I did it. They said I couldn't. I got cut a half a dozen times, but I did it. I'm here. And you establish yourself. And after all the scrapping and fighting and scratching and almost giving up, you did it. And when they bring you back on campus to talk to guys, right, about your experience, and when they retire your jersey and they put your – put you up, you know, the, the, the wall, the ring, the whatever of honor, and you're, you're talking and you're, you're, you're explaining the experience that you've had, and they're having, you know, they're having your day, right? They're celebrating you, all that good stuff, back on campus for the first time in years. They're going to show one of your games, you know, some, some films, some cut-ups. What game do you think best explains, Garrett, best exemplifies what you brought to the field when you were a college player? Uh, you know, probably probably the last game I ever played, the game I got uh, injured. We were, um, we're playing Harding. Uh, they had the number one defense mm-hmm. in the country statistically, uh, yeah. allowing ridiculous numbers, I think less than 11 points a game. Um, less than like 250 total yards of offense, just ridiculous numbers. Um, and we went and scored uh, the first three or four possessions we had the ball. Um, and on top of me performing well, you know, uh, passing for over 300 yards and in, in three quarters and three touchdowns and with one rushing touchdown. Um, besides that, uh, you know, I think kind of my MO kind of if you asked my coaches and teammates is um, that my best 
aspect is the, the way I compete, and, and um, I think my teammates know I'd do anything for them, and, and it's pretty obvious. And, you know, I end up – when I got hurt, I probably uh, – you know, I think I'd, I I got hurt in the game in, uh, late in the third quarter, um, and I went back in, and I think that's when I uh, – I tore my ACL after I'd gone back in. I think I'd probably just had an MCL – um, at first, so if I would have just, you know, stayed out and, and not finished that game, um, I'd probably be 100% right now. Probably would have been about two months ago, three months ago. But um, I didn't. I went back in because, you know, uh, it was my last college game if we didn't win. And, you know, I, I was just too competitive, had too much respect for my teammates and, and my coaches to not give it my all. And, you know, my, the last play of my career – I ended up, you know, tearing my ACL, but um, you know, I wouldn't change it. Uh, I went out, you know, fighting, and um, it was one of the better games I ever played, and and uh, it didn't end the way I wanted it to, but you know, um, that's kind of that's kind of the player I, I want to be remembered as. You know, someone who's uh, going to fight till the end and uh, would do anything for his teammates. Second story, and it, it does say a lot about your leadership. Style. I mean, you are one of those guys who won't ever ask anybody to do something you won't do. And I, I do love that about you when I watch you on tape. You're a tough dude, man. <laughs> you're, you're not just a quarterback. You're a football player. <laughs> yeah, sure. I appreciate that. <laughs> so same question for you. Um, when you, as a special teams guy, because, you know, if you haven't already gotten the memo about this, uh, I, I'm the bearer of that news. You haven't already been told. Your career, your early career at least, uh, Blake, is going to be specialty. Yes. And I, I assume I assume you're working on that now, right? Catching yes, catching sir. punts, I, I, catching kickoffs. Yes, sir. I've been working on all that. Yes, sir. Good, 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 good. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't want you to be surprised. <laughs> but yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. But that's how you're going to make your 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 you're living. And I think your football IQ, and you're another tough guy, your football IQ, your toughness, your willingness to do, hey, if they ask you to play nickelback, you're like, sure, let me look at the defense <laughs> that we put, we run. If they ask you to, you know, play receiver, if they ask you to be, you know, hey, if we've got a desperate situation, we need you to come in and give us a use of the quarterback so we can sign a guy. You're going to say, okay, I know the offense, sure. Uh, let's, let's probably run a few quarterback draws, but, yeah, let's do it, you know. Yes, uh, but, once again, you're one of those save-me-a-roster spot guys. Bill Belichick loves those guys, right? You can – Troy Brown. Remember when Troy Brown, six games into the season, one of their Super Bowl years, started playing, you know, third third slot corner, what do you call it, nickelback. He became an important part of their defense and, in fact, steals a game with an interception. You know, I mean, Troy Brown was another guy that was told you'll be a special teams guy, and he was initially, and then eventually he was starting receiver. And then, like I said, he became one of those rare NFL two-way players. You don't see their helmet. But that guy will have a job, right? It might not be with the same team all the time, but a special teams coach will get hired again somebody doesn't remember you and be like, hey, I really like that kid. Where is he now? And you'll get a call. You might be on your couch. You might be playing arena. You might be in the CFL. But as you know, contracts are written in both arena and CFL. If you get a call from the NFL team, they will release you from your contract immediately. Uh, no harm, no foul. So uh, wherever it is you are, if you keep playing 
and we get and get better because that's means you're a baby to some extent, uh, unless at the position you're playing at least. So people, I think, realize that there's a lot more in the text. But the same question is, if you had to show one person the game that you think best explains who Blake was as a player, if like this is like this game explains Blake Jackson as a football player. What game would you pick? I think uh, one game that really. Uh, that really shows like the type of person, not like just the type of person, type of player when it comes to like handling adversity and, and just you know being relentless and, and you know not not focusing on on like a mistake that I made would probably either be it probably, probably have to be a Linfield game the first time we played them this year uh, you know in the second in the second quarter. Uh, in the second quarter of that game, it, it was like a close game. The whole first half was a close game, and uh, our history with Linfield, we never, we never have beat Linfield ever, like through our program. And um, you know, they, they, they had beat us in '04 when we played them uh, in the national championship game. And you know, I've heard from multiple alumni that <laughs> talked about, you know, hey, Linfield. That was I saw back. that game. They, Linfield had a really good quarterback and a really good tight end that year. And yes. Yeah. You guys were in it, though. You were very much in that game, but it's dumb. That was a hard loss. Yes, sir. And, uh, but, yeah, that – and I, I've heard from, like, a bunch of alumni, like, about that game, and they still talk about, to this day, like, that, you know, the Bloomfield. And so, like, you know, going into this year, we saw, you know, we had them third game on, on our schedule. And so, anyway, that game, uh, you know, that first half, I had uh, – uh, I had through, like, a pitch stick. Um, I had some other mistakes that I had made, and, and and I didn't let those mistakes. But I had came back after those mistakes, and and I was still pushing, and I was still competing, and I was I didn't lose a step in anything I did. Um, you know, I, I'm no matter what I can I I can sit there and I can I can throw a pick, and you know I can sit there I can I can fumble the ball, but I'm not gonna let that define what I'm gonna do the next time I go back on the field, and you know. Um, yeah, it, it, that feeling of throwing an interception or that the feeling of fumbling the ball and turning over the ball is a horrible feeling. But that's something that that feeling has to be a short term, short term thing. Because once you go back out on that field and you know you got to go back out there and, and and help your team win a game, you can't you can't have that in the back of your mind. You can't have that you know wavering over your head. You know you just got to let those things go. And it, it's adversity. You know adversity is a is something that you're gonna face. On, on, on the football field for sure, but also in life. And, you know, uh, everybody goes through some type of adversity. And, and some people know how to fight through it, and some people just let it consume them. So, um, you know, that's just one thing. That's one game I could I could probably sit there and watch and be like, you know, you can see my competitiveness. You can see how I handle adversity, and you can see just how relentless I'm, I'm going to be. Excellent. Well, I, I thank you both for your time, your patience, your talent, and really good tape. That's, that's, a, that's the thing I mostly want to thank you on, for both, putting up really good tape. And I, it's funny, Garrett, I didn't know – I mean, I knew you'd gotten knocked out of that game for a moment. I didn't realize that you torn – I mean, because you just fought through – What a, I mean, you showed people, some, like, truly a warrior spirit in that game. You, uh, you're a tough man uh, to have come back and tried to – push through that game with already, you know, a, a probably a fairly significant knee injury already. And then unfortunately you have your, you know, your college career in that way, but it, I think you did exemplify, like I said, that 
that spirit that you would do whatever it took to try to win a game. And that's what they look for. Um, the NFL is a crucible. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no way to put it. Um, the jump you made from high school to college was a big old jump, but on NFL camp, it's a freak show. It's an utter freak show. Um, it's an assemblage of just the biggest, strongest, fastest humans the world can produce. So God bless you for wanting to face that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a mind melter for some people. Some people never get over the shock, and not just small school guys. Guys from USC get overwhelmed. Guys from Texas, guys from name a place, are like, holy crap, these guys are amazing. You know, like it's, you know, the first time you see Julius Peppers up close, you're like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that was my reaction, at least. I mean, a person that size moving like that, how is that possible? I mean, his speed, especially when he's young. I mean, even now, he's pretty impressive. But, man, young Julius Peppers, that kind of speed, explosiveness, flexibility from a person that size, who's six six and a quarter, 284 pounds, it's, your brain can't comprehend it at first. How is he running like that, moving like that, like th- at that size? How? how? So, yes, uh, prepare yourself, obviously, for the – because it's like a trip to the zoo or the jumping. Like you're just seeing things that most people don't ever see up close. Like uh, the only difference is you get to be on the other side of the – the bars. You're not. You're not just watching. You're. You're in the zoo. It's like, oh wow, wow. Look at wow. But now the wow is where you are. You know, you're in it. You're in it. You're of it. But like I said, I want to wish you both very much the best. It's been a real thrill getting a chance to know both of you. You're a couple of the more impressive young student athletes I've had a chance to watch this year. And regardless of level of competition, I truly believe you're as deserving of attention as you know, the guys that are on television all the time. You're going to get an email from me uh, probably in just a couple of hours, and it will have a series of questions and requests for a photograph to be used in your profile that I'll be producing. And just answer the questions as best you can. Some of the questions that are very similar to or almost exactly the same as some ones I covered, but I just want to make sure that I, I didn't miss anything. And there's a few questions in there I just didn't get a chance to get to because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But last question, um, are you two gentlemen, I'll start with you, Blake, uh, married, single, taken, uh, where, what is your, for the ladies out there, what is your current sex? Uh, for me? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, yes, I'm Blake. Single right I'm single right now. Uh, yeah, I'm, right now I'm focused on football, focusing on, uh, you know, my career and, and where I want to get to. And, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where I am. <laughs> I got you. So you're you're married to the grind, is what you're saying right now. <laughs> I'm, married, I'm married to the to the game of football, yes, sir. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Well, ladies, you you have you have you know who your competition is for for Blake's heart right now. He's married to the game of football. Uh, and the same question for you, Garrett. Married, single, taken? I'm not married, but I've been dating a girl for about a year and a half almost. So. So, so the word we're looking for is taken. You can just say that. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you are. Yes, you are taken. You are off the market. Sorry, ladies. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, once again, same thing. Let, look for an email from me in a few hours, and once I have uh, the answers back from you and a pho- photograph, I'll be uh, probably sometime towards Friday of next week, your profiles will run, uh, either that or somewhere in the next week to 10 days. 
I want to make sure they're all out and up before the draft. And I've got, I'm sort of backlogged, so I apologize. I'm still trying to get the guys from a few weeks ago out, but I'll be churning. That's what my weekend will be churning out uh, articles and profiles. And once again, like I said, I thank both of you. Uh, also, I thank your representation. Uh, I thank everyone who helped to make this happen. Gentlemen, go forth. Be blessed. Uh, I wish you both health and success. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Oh, the Thank pleasure is mine. Thank you. Yes, sir. So we had a really good group of young men. Uh, we had Sean Brickley at first, and Sean had to run. He had to get to a workout, which is good. You know, workouts are important. Uh, also had the great pleasure of getting to know Keith Reinecke, proper pronunciation, like good German pronunciation, Reinecke, uh, who was a terrific prospect who's played on both sides of the ball and I think we'll find a home as a special teamer at the next level. A couple of interesting quarterbacks, one of whom is a projection to probably slot receiver, but Blake Jackson, and of course, a guy who I believe is a projection to quarterback, a quarterback quarterback, uh, though he's a good athlete as well, especially as he's recovering his health, uh, Garrett Fugate, who is an exciting, interesting prospect. I thank all of you young men. I thank you for your time, your talent, your attention, like I said, putting out great tape. I know that something good is out there for, for all of you, and the only problem is getting to it. Uh, through all of the various uh, stepping, you know, places to you know, trip over and fall over or whatever. But I think you'll both, you'll both find your, you'll find your futures. So I thank you both again. So on behalf of uh, Consistence Draft Services, Pro Prospect Radio, this is Bill Carroll. And like I said, on behalf of all the young men, uh, we will be having an online-focused show next week, so sort of a brief promo for next week. Uh, we'll be shifting away from – we'll probably have at least one defensive lineman uh, or defensive player, but I'm trying to book some of my favorite underrated, underappreciated offensive linemen. And some of them will be names you may know, some of them names you might not know, but these are guys that I truly believe – one, I believe every single one of them will get drafted amongst the offensive linemen that I'm, I'm looking to to bring on. And secondarily, or additionally, I believe, like I said, there are guys who truly are deserving of more time and attention from uh, NFL scouts, draft Twitter, et cetera. But once again, uh, this has been Bill Carroll and Consistent Drafters of Pro, Pro Prospects Radio. Good day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.